Welcome to the What's In My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and thanks for checking out the audio format of our show. If you want to watch these episodes, check us out on YouTube. Just type in youtube.com slash what's in my head podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as I bring you a piece of your childhood each and every week. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button here as well as on YouTube. Make sure to check us out on all social media platforms. That's where I'll ask you, the fans, to drop a question or two for our upcoming guests. You can find us on social media by searching at In My Head Pod. If you're digging the content, leave us a rating and review as that helps us and other fans of pop culture find us. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to What's in My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian. Today I'm joined by Linda Semensky, returning guest. Linda, how are you? I'm great, Julian. How are you? Thank you for and, having me back. This oh, is great. This, this is, without you, I mean, you talked about my shirt and I moved the cameras just around a little bit. Fans have seen it quite a few times. I mean, Damn near every show on this shirt you had a hand in. So you can thank me for being on my show, but I'm going to thank you for helping create my childhood and so many others' childhoods. Um, This is the first podcast I've ever done this where I've given the fans the reins to the show, the control pad or keypad, whatever you want to call it, man. They got to choose what we're going to talk about. What we're going to talk about today, and it's almost a 50% as far as... um, the polls went for who got to win and what they got to win. Uh, it was between Ed and Eddie. It was between Gendy shows with Samurai Jack, Dexter's Lab. Um, and then Craig won it out with Powerpuff Girls and with Foster's Home for Imaginary Kids. Friends. Jesus, that's a that's a darker story right there. Imaginary friend, uh, kids. <laughs> Imaginary but, uh, kids, right? Yeah. <laughs> <But, laughs> yeah, it's Powerpuff Girls and Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. And uh, I did cool. Usually I save this type of stuff towards the end, but I told you we'd open up the show with this Craig McCracken. I actually reached out to him and whenever I have one of you guys and gals on, I always reach out to anybody that I've had on before somebody that you've worked with and say, Hey, is there a story or is there something that I should bring up with my guest? And he had this to say, Craig says, and ladies and gentlemen, if you've been listening to the show this long, you don't know who Craig McCracken is shame on you. Uh, Powerpuff girls, foster's home wander, and then the great kid cosmic over on Netflix. Um, but Craig wanted to say, he says, say hi to her and thank her for the trust and freedom. She afforded us at cartoon network at the time. I didn't realize how rare that is in the industry. Also ask her if she remembers by George, the series I pitched her the day before I pitched her fosters. Do you remember by George? I George. No, you know what? I don't remember that. Okay. I, I remember several versions of Foster's, but, and I, I remember him pitching other projects, but I don't, you know, it was a while ago. I don't remember them, but I remember, <laughs> I remember a lot about uh, the very, I mean, it wasn't called Foster's Home at the very beginning of it. It had, you know, I don't even know if it had a title, but the, the very early versions of it were, they were, you know, they were, it was, the one I remember was it was a, a, a couple and they had a baby and the baby would imagine these imaginary characters. And it was about the baby and the characters that that kid would imagine. And what I remember most vividly was the uh, the dad in that was named Brian and looked like Brian Wilson. That I remember. So, you know, the brain is an interesting uh, organ. You know, it, it, it remembers some things and not everything. But I do remember Craig pitching more than one project. And I, you know, even though Foster's, you know, the original version of it was was kind of odd, there definitely was something there. And so that's what stuck in my head. I mean, there, there are projects that people have pitched me over the years that, you know, like if we don't move ahead on them, I usually 
don't remember them like because yeah. there's just so many projects I sometimes I remember the very very worst projects I've ever seen and occasionally I'll remember one that like I really liked but then you know for whatever reason it never happened or it went somewhere else or something like that but but uh yeah I've 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 looked it it's interesting I've looked at a lot of projects and I basically looked at like a new project every day probably since 1989 Jesus. and then when I left for for Duolingo like I stopped taking pitches and I thought, I thought, oh, how am I going to get through life without taking a pitch every day? And it's been fine. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> I thought it'd be really like weird, but you know, there's enough other things to, to work on and, and all, but I, for a long time, I saw, you know, new pitches every day. And I guess I missed that a little bit, but um, that's a lot of pitches. If you think about, you know, from 1989 till, 2021 you know and <laughs> i was born in 89 that is a lot of pitches that's your your whole lifetime i was it taking <laughs> yes and feeling guilty for being so behind on them oh yeah. no it, it's perfectly fine you got a lot of shit to do you're a very very busy lady um and like i said we we're, we're gonna talk powerpuff girls we're gonna talk fosters now just to recap some of the fans the last time i had you on we talked a little powerpuff girls and mm -hmm. You, you, Craig talked about it as well because I asked him the same question. Um, Powerpuff Girls wasn't wasn't going to happen when it was mm -hmm. pitched, right? How it was and how right. it how it mm -hmm. came to be on TV. Mm -hmm. You had a huge part in making sure that 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 cartoon happened. And when I had Craig on, I told him I was like, "Look, dude, when when this show first came on, I had to convince because being a boy, it aired in what 95, 96, maybe a little. No, it was, it was Dexter was ninety five, ninety six. So I think it's ninety seven, ninety eight was Powerpuff Girls. Yeah, I think around ninety, maybe even ninety nine. But yeah, yeah, around around that time. Yeah. So I remember having to like how they would pitch you shows. I would pitch my friends cartoons that I saw on Cartoon Network and Powerpuff Girls was one of them. And just being boys, nobody wanted to watch a girl cartoon. My friends just didn't want to watch the girl cartoon. It was fun as hell. Mojo Jojo is worth the price of admission alone. Him, Fuzzy Lumpkins was always my guy because being a Southern guy, we, I just liked, it seemed familiar. He seemed like a family member that would come over, old Fuzzy or Uncle Fuzzy. Um, and I love the show right off the bat. But like I said, the show wasn't the same show we got that they pitched, man. So you told him, I think is what you said was you were doing, he was doing Dexter at the time. And you said, mm -hmm. punched up with laughter, make it funny, like, like you're doing with Dexter. They kind of went mm -hmm. back to the boards, but going from your perspective, and I know it was a long time ago when mm -hmm. Powerpuff Girls was in, uh, what do you remember from the early stages of Craig pitching it, it not going so well, going back to the drawing boards, pun intended, and then it finally making the air. So what do you remember about that time? So I, I do remember all of this vividly. So, uh, so I can, you know, I think I can, I can give you you know, what I, what I saw from this. So I was not there for the original pitch. The original pitch was, you know, Craig was, he was at Hanna-Barbera. He'd been working on Two Stupid Dogs, I think. Mm -hmm. And he had this project already because he had worked on it when he was in college. And I had seen it when he was still a student and he pitched it and Cartoon Network picked it up and they, they greenlit it for two shorts. So they were basically making essentially two pilots and they had pretty high hopes for it. And then it, it didn't test well and it didn't test well. I think because partly because it was, 
it was more ironic than funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and the girls weren't really developed at that point. And, you know, it was a, it was a bit of like, it was more about the bad guy and it was a lot about the fighting and it was, uh, you know, and, and it definitely, it had a, a look that really stood out for people and you could see there was something there and you could just see that it just needed a little bit of development. And so they tested the first one and it didn't test particularly well, partly because I think it was, you know, it, it was girls and boys were like, yeah, I'm not going to watch that. But then, you know, they they did the second one. The second one really didn't test well. And I was there for that. That was my second day at Cartoon Network. Ooh. They said to me on my, so my first day, you know, they were like, hey, can you come to focus groups with us? And I was like, yeah, sure. And they were, the first couple were in, um, I think, Dallas. And then the, the next set of them were in New York. And I said, yeah, sure. So my second day at Cartoon Network, I was, you know, getting on a plane and flying to Texas. And so we did these groups. And I remember there was, there was a kid there who was saying things like, I'd rather stare at a blank wall than watch this. <laughs> you know, I mean, the kids were pretty, pretty, pretty tough on it and uh, savage, you know, and, and, and I was like, oh, bummer, you know, because I, I really, I thought when I went to Cartoon Network that I'd be working on that show. You know, I, th- I thought for sure, I knew Dexter had gone to series, but I thought for sure Powerpuff would, would happen. So, you know, it seemed pretty obvious at that point, we should not make that show. And, but then, you know, I always liked Craig, like he was a really nice, funny guy and his boards were always funny and he was a great artist. And and I really admired his work. And one day I was, uh, well, I should mention, you know, people would always ask me, when are they going to make a Powerpuff Girls show? And I would just say, I don't know, but people did ask for it a lot. And they didn't, they weren't asking for some of the other projects. There were a lot of other shorts. They weren't asking about that. They were asking about Powerpuff Girls. So, so you know, it's not like I had some, you know, like vision that this was going to work. It was really more that I was just sort of observing that a lot of people would ask me about this. And these weren't necessarily people I knew, you know, like people would come up to me at Comic-Con and ask things like that. So it was, it was in my head that, you know, people wanted this show, you know, maybe not nine-year-old boys, but people wanted this show. And, uh, and so the thing that, that really made me move on it though, was, you know, we were starting to get to the, you know, with, with Dexter, I figured there were going to be 52 episodes because that was sort of like the normal amount. That's like a four season amount, 13 episodes in a season. So 52 would be like, a number you'd get to or 65. And we were inching towards that. And I started wondering how to keep the team together and, you know, what show they'd want to do next. And, you know, I knew we could sort of go through the whole process of saying, okay, who's got a show, you know, who wants to pitch, you know, we were already taking a lot of pitches from that group, but I was reading a storyboard that Craig had done for Dexter's lab. And I, I, I can't remember the name of it, but it was, it was the one where, uh, Dexter fires Dee Dee and then hires a replacement for her. So all these girls show up and, you know, they're all like, you know, he's saying, okay, now knock over my stuff. Okay, now do this, now do that. And in the end, he decides, oh, you know, I, 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 I guess I really do need 
Didi here, you know, I can't, no one else is as annoying as she is. And, you know, I miss it. And it was a really funny board and it just made me laugh. And, uh, and so I, I said, the next time I saw Craig, I said, you know, the, the, that board was really funny. And it makes me think that if you wanted to go back to Powerpuff Girls and make it really funny, you know, like the kind of jokes that you put in these boards that are so funny to me, if you put that into a pitch, I bet that we could get this into production. And, and he said, I don't think so. You know, they it did not test well. And I said, well, you know, if we had a really good pitch, I think we could make a case for this. And so I went to Mike Lazo and I, I told him this and he seemed pretty iffy about it. And then I, I said, well, if we did this, we could keep the team together when we get to the end of Dexter's lab. And he said, hmm, that's a good point. And he said, okay, you know, I'm going to give you the money to do it. And, um, and I, I said, you know, I think that, that, and, and, and this was one of my more sort of like reasonable moments as an executive. I said, I think if we're going to do this, we should pay Craig, we should pay him some development money and we should even go back to his deal and give him a better deal. And that way, like he won't feel, he'll understand that we're serious about doing this. And, you know, that'll sort of get everyone on board because, you know, we will have to ask for more money for him and we can make the case for why we want to do this. And Lazo was like, yeah, okay, you know, let's see. And so I, I, I talked to Craig about this and he was kind of surprised, but, but he did it. And then sure enough, he did a great job with the development. I mean, I think, you know, I gave him a couple of notes and Lazo gave him a couple of notes, but, you know, it wasn't like a ton of notes or anything. And, and he, he put together a really great pitch that people still, like when I show it to people, they still like, it really sticks with them because what he did was he made this chart and it had, you know, Blossom and uh, Bubbles and Buttercup. And then it had like 20 questions and as if each of them was answering each question, yeah. it would have the answers to those questions. And it told you everything you needed to know about, because one of the things I said to him was, I, I think you need to really differentiate the girls and that will be a lot more interesting. And then you need to like, sort of, you know, explain their backstory. And then you need to make the bad guys really, you know, they, they need to be really interesting bad guys, you know, cause everybody loves the bad guys. So make them really interesting. And, and really like figure out their world. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. This is all in my head. So he wrote it all down and then there it was. And when it was all there and it was all in one document, it was like, wow, this is a great show. And so, you know, it, it, there, it took a little bit of effort to like people at, at Hanna-Barbera at that point were like all on board, you know, they were like his, all the people from Dexter, everybody was like, yeah, I want to work on this. And um, so that was easy. Um, the Cartoon Network, there were skeptics. Uh, Betty Cohen was a little bit skeptical. The, uh, the head of programming in the UK was pretty skeptical. And they said, you know, kids don't really think irony is funny. And I said, well, you know, there's, there's humor in here. And, and, you know, it's just so, it's just so unique. I think it's going to work. And the truth is, I think that, you know, if I had really thought it through, 
I really would have thought, oh, well, you know, it's going to get hard to get boys to watch it. But, you know, I wasn't really thinking it through. I was I was I was maybe a less competent executive at that point because I was mostly thinking this will be funny. And Craig's really good. He won't let us down. We're going to be fine. You know, Uh, humor conquers all. And and I really you know, I wasn't really thinking about the the boy question and it, it you know so the show premiered and it did pretty well you know i'd say the ratings the ratings were good the ratings weren't like amazing or anything but they were good they were equal to all the other shows so they how were far, you know definitely helping how far Excuse removed me? how far i don't mean to interrupt you but how far oh, no, go ahead. are you guys from the initial test pilot to green obviously you won't be able to say oh it was on a tuesday in 91 you know obviously but if ballpark yeah. figure how, how far do you think you're removed from that initial test pilot those two test pilots that they just it didn't didn't go well with the kids to saying hey mike we have something here craig make this funny pit, punch it up some you guys give craig a new deal and then it starts airing about how much time in between that initial pitch uh that didn't go so well to premiering would you say it was yeah, I would say probably the testing was happening in, you know, early 95. Definitely the the testing that I attended for the second short was in, uh, that was October of 95. So um, I think, I think it got picked up in about 94 is my guess, 90, mm-hmm. yeah, about 90, yeah, about 94 is my guess. And, and would have been in production 94, part of 95. I think they they premiered somewhere in the first half of 95. And then I got there in October of 95. So that would have been all of those early things. The point where I would have said this was probably, I'm going to guess somewhere in, you know, like, like later 96, early 97, there, okay. thereabouts is my guess. And I, I could be a little off, but I, I, I think it was somewhere around there. And, and what I remember was that the, you know, they were still at Hanna-Barbera at that point when, when, uh, when we were talking about it. And then I think by the time it started production, they had moved under Warner Brothers and they had moved over to the Warner building. Okay. So the the production was being done at Warner Brothers. And I, I can't remember if any of it had been done while they were still at Hanna-Barbera. But so that was sort of like a key moment in all of this was that was going. There was a very sort of political backdrop of, of you know, Cartoon Network uh, sort of watching Hanna-Barbera become, you know, sort of uh, subsumed by, by Warner Brothers. And then in that time, we started up our, we started setting up our own studio probably in about 98 or so. And it, it actually opened up in, uh, in the first half of, or early in, I guess, maybe June of, of uh, 2000 or, or so, somewhere around there. Uh, so, so yeah, also, you know, it was happening in sort of different places, but I kind of remember the initial conversation with Craig happened while they were still at Hanna-Barbera. And so right after it premiered, 
that was like, I'd say within about three weeks, Cartoon Network was getting so many phone calls about licensing and merchandising for Powerpuff Girls. It was like amazing. Mm -hmm. And they built, they had to build up a whole department to handle all those requests and to, you know, basically to license the show. So, you know, the show right from the start was like a huge merchandising hit and everyone got behind it. And it, it was, it was not clear who was buying the merchandise, but it, it seemed like, it seemed like a lot of, you know, a lot of it was for girls. So girls were buying it. I'm not sure that boys were getting it, but I know a lot of adults were buying things. So, um, you know, it became a pretty good uh, cash cow for, uh, for Cartoon Network at that point, because, you know, the merchandising was so good. And I, I think that helped the show. The, the other thing was that it became this pop culture phenomenon. Mm-hmm. So I remember my mother asking me about it and my guide to, is it popular? Like, is it part of pop culture yet was simply, did my mother know about it? You know, if, if she heard about it on one of the shows she watched, then she'd know it was popular and ask me about it. And I remember she knew all about Powerpuff Girls. And that was my tip off that you know, this is a big thing in pop culture. And uh, something I remember about it, though, I don't I can't remember if I told you this story or not, but there was a focus group we were doing. This was probably about. I'm going to say 2001, 2002 or so. We were testing other things and then we, but we decided to do this just as a little experiment. So it was a um, room full of, uh, of eight-year-old boys. And so we said, uh, how many of you watch Powerpuff Girls? One raises his hand. So at the very end of the focus groups, we, we had them put their heads down and we asked them several questions. And one of those questions was, how many of you watch Powerpuff Girls? All but one raised their hand this time because <laughs> they couldn't see each other. And that told me all I needed to know about, you know, Powerpuff Girls. It was, you know, it was the the kids who were watching it didn't want to admit it. The kids who were getting the merchandise from it may not have been watching it. Yeah. So so it was that, you know, that makes it complicated. And I remember thinking, yeah, this show probably by the time I left Cartoon Network, that show would not have been picked up. There would have been too many arguments against doing it. It would have been not a sure bet. So I, I thought it was good when they when they brought it back because it meant that, you know, they knew what they were getting into and they were okay with that. But I also remember thinking, um, you know, it, it, it would make you think that there was a need for kick-ass girl cartoons, but I was never completely sure that there there was. And then, you know, Kim Possible basically took all of our learnings from Powerpuff Girls and, you know, Disney was able to make Kim Possible into a big deal. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, sort of taking what they could learn from Powerpuff Girls and sort of fixing some of the other things. And then, you know, I continued to get these requests for a uh, kick-ass girl cartoon. And that's when I, I started working on a project called Juniper Lee, yeah. Life and Times of Juniper Lee. And then I left. I left while that was still being piloted. So um, I thought Juniper Lee was pretty funny, but they couldn't quite decide. Did they want it to be funny? Did they want it to be action? Could it be both? You know, they, they didn't quite know what to do. And so I don't know what they ended up deciding, but I think that was just like maybe one season. 
But there was this idea that, you know, what worked about Powerpuff Girls was that, you know, it was a kick-ass girls cartoon at a point where, you know, there was this need for kick-ass girls cartoons. But I really think it was just that Craig was what was working about it. You know, he had such a unique sensibility and it was not like anything else. And it, it pulled from a lot of different things that he liked, but it wasn't, it, you know, there was nothing you could really compare it to accurately. And I think that's what made it so unique and uh, no one could quite replicate it. And in fact, I don't even know that they could replicate it when they redid it. No, you know? they didn't. Uh, they didn't. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't, I didn't watch the new one. I, I felt like I didn't want to, and I didn't. So a bunch of people didn't, I, I tried dipping my, there's, so <clears throat> there's actually a fan question about that. So we won't go too far into it before we get to that one. Um, but there is, there was a bunch of fans questions about, about that same topic about why mm-hmm. is Cartoon Network not doing um, more reboots of their classics like Nickelodeon does? And then the very next mm-hmm. comment was, well, if you go and watch any of the Nick rebooted stuff, it's missing the heart, the soul that it had 20 years ago because it's not the same mm-hmm. creators. It's not the same artists. It's not the same writers. Most of the time, it's not even the same voice cast. So you have this disconnect right. and you're trying mm-hmm. to take something that was amazing back in the day and you're trying to force it onto a younger generation that just doesn't want it because they've been, I don't want to say inundated because it makes it sound like we're brainwashing our kids with the cartoons they have, but it's, they have their own style of cartoons. Like our version of cartoons, my version of cartoons is completely different than your version, right? I Mm -hmm. came up with what you were ushering in when you were working at Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon and you go over to PBS and you were doing all this. So that was my era of cartoons. But what you came in with when we had our last talk was those classic Looney Tune cartoons. So mm-hmm. diametrically different. You know, you have your style, my style, and then, but my style was borrowing from your style, right? So it was influenced mm-hmm. upon. Um, but with, with whenever they try to reboot something, you can generally tell when it's just for money. Because you can look at it and be like, oh, this is exactly what this is. You're trying to cash in on a project that made so much money back in the day. You just want to try to see if you can tap that well again. A lot of the reboots that I've seen do that. There are very few original content. If you go and look at anything in the past, and this is not a dig on Cartoon Network, I'm wearing a Cartoon Network for God's sakes. I mean, if you look at my room, there's nothing but all you see is Ninja Turtle shit. But around the room, there's nothing but Cartoon Network stuff. So I'm a huge fan of Cartoon Network, Nickelodeon, and Disney. But it's from like 2009 when Ed, Ed and Eddie came off the air till shit, probably even now. Look at almost every single cartoon, Adventure Time. I love regular shows, so don't fans don't hit me on that. You guys know how I feel about the regular show and JG in particular. Um, that Gumball, a lot of those shows, like a lot of these shows looked identical. If you go back and you pull any of the shows, any of the shows from my shirt, any of the shows that we've just talked about from those early 90s, it was the same thing as Ed, Ed, and Eddie. There's not one character on Ed, Ed, and Eddie that looked the same. They all different. They were all diverse. Same thing with all of the cartoons from Powerpuff Girls to Samurai Jack to Dexter's Lab. Everything had its own heart, its own soul, its own way to make it go. And it's just, when I, like I said, whenever they reboot stuff, it's very difficult to get back in that mind frame that you were 20 years ago because you're a different person than you were yeah. 20 years ago. You're a different mm-hmm. person than you were 10 years ago most of the time. You know, So it was with that reboot, I looked at it and I, I, I had, I think we in, uh, you ever meet Robert Alvarez? Do you know Robert? Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah. So. Sure. That man is a national treasure. I say it all the time on this podcast. Man is a national treasure. Yeah, amazing timer. Yes. Oh, man. His, and he is all there still. Like mm-hmm. his stories, 
both on air and off once off air are some of my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I won't repeat any of those because those are told in confidence, but some of the stories he's told me are some of my favorite stories of all time. He's, he's he is, that man is a catalog for, for animation. Um, plus he's worked on every, almost every single show. Any of us have ever watched. Um, right. Uh, shit. Where was I going with that point? Uh, oh yeah. Uh, we were talking Powerpuff. I was talking Powerpuff Girls with him and I can't remember if I did it on air or off air, uh, but it's not bad. So it won't get him in trouble. Um, but he was like, I definitely didn't like the show because it didn't feel like it felt 30 years ago when we were doing it. It didn't feel there was no magic to it. There's no soul to it. There's no heart to it. There was whatever the magic was there. It was not there anymore. And he was like, it was, it was like a skeleton. It was like a robot. It was whatever you want to put it It just didn't seem right. And I can't remember if he worked on it. I want to say he did, but I might be conflating him and somebody else. But we talked about that one. The same thing you said, it's just, man, I don't really want to watch it because it's just, it's not there for me anymore. Um, Well, there was a, a small thing that, that they kept talking about with it that just felt wrong to me what was so funny early on was it about it was about three kindergartners saving the world before bedtime yeah and and the fact that they were girls kind of took off you know there was a sort of a big girl power movement but it wasn't like craig created the show and said it's a girl power show like it wasn't about that and then when they redid it they positioned it as a girl power show and not that there's anything wrong with that but that's not what the show was the show was about the power of kids and they just happened to be girls and it became look it's girls girls can do anything and it's like yeah that's fine but that wasn't what the show was about if it had been i'd say fine but it just it felt like a misreading of the show or a recalibration of where the show should focus and and i kept thinking it's it's not it wasn't really about that it was about being young and not being taken seriously so so i don't know if that's a big deal or not but it it just it sort of felt a little bit wrong to me but yeah i i struggle with with reboots in general because i i feel like there's something about when characters are created, you know, they're created at, at a time, you know, they, they, they emerge in a time and they're, they're usually answering a question that's being asked at the time, or they're solving a problem that's existing at the time. And, you know, if, if, if you keep it going that whole time, then I, I think, you know, I think it can work. I mean, I just, you know, was working on, on, Arthur and Arthur was around for, you know, decades. decades. And, but it was like the same team practically Mm -hmm. working on it. And, and so somehow that felt okay. You know, it's like you can have a show for a really long time and, and that can work. But like if they had stopped doing Arthur and then if they went and found a whole new team to work on it, it would not be it would not still be Arthur. It would be something slightly other. And that's what happens with a lot of these reboots. They're sometimes, you know, they're, they're just as good, but they're not the same. And a lot of times they're not as good. And, uh, you know, sometimes people will say, well, you know, we're going to fix what didn't work on the show in the first place. And, you know, maybe that helps, but I can't really think of any show that got, better in its second incarnation can you 
Can you think of anything where shows you can say family guy because that's been canceled 14 times. You yeah. can say Futurama, mm-hmm. but future there was what's so great about Futurama is the writing. Room. I mean, don't get me wrong. The animators yeah. and everything are amazing for Futurama, but the writing room, I had Eric Kaplan on here not too long ago. His, his episode will drop here in a couple of weeks. Um, but uh, the writing room is just brilliant. I mean, all, almost all of them are Ivy League students, Harvard grads. So mm-hmm. you've got all of this smart humor. And, and what's funny about Futurama is like, I'll watch it. And my wife walks by and she's like, man, that's the dumbest show I have ever seen in my life. And I was like, you would think that, but actually listen to how they talk and how they converse and how all of these characters. And then I was like, I was like, I want you to Google this guy's name. And she's like, okay. And I was like, where did he go to school? Oh, Harvard. I was like, okay. Google this guy's name. Oh, Harvard. You can't mm-hmm. say it's the dumbest show when you've got Harvey gra- or Har- uh, Harvard graduates writing this. This is one of the smartest shows out there. But mm-hmm. those are the two that come to mind. I mean, I mean I'm pretty sure if I sat here and thought about it, I'd come up with something down the road. And as soon as we get off this phone call, I have four shows maybe that were better in their second run, but mm-hmm. nothing really comes to mind when I think about it. Yeah, and those are, you know, those are adult shows and they're they're kind of at the same people, you know. I, I think when you have different people working on them, it, it just changes things. And especially when I found out Craig wasn't going to be working on the new Powerpuff Girls, I thought, well, you know. That's the heart and soul he's missing. Right yeah, there. it's like there's so much that he would bring to it. And, you know, I felt like, well, wow, this is going to be a tough job for the people working on it because you know, they have to kind of walk in and figure out what their version of it is. And, you know, what, to me, what made it so special in the first place was Craig's sensibility. So, so uh, yeah, I, so I, I did not spend much time watching it and, you know, I guess it was okay, but um, I really liked the, uh, on the website, they had a, like a Powerpuff Girls character generator. Mm -hmm. You could build yourself in the Powerpuff Girls style I spent a lot of time with that. That's what, <laughs> what color was Linda? What color were you? Oh, I, you know, I kept giving myself striped shirts and yeah. you know, I was, but I, I could make a little character that looked a little bit like me. So I was pretty happy with that. And uh, I thought that was fun. So I, I, I did, I did appreciate that, but I, uh, and you know, I understood why Cartoon Network was doing it. And, uh, and it was, uh, I mean, my understanding of the story, uh, and this is not firsthand information, this was someone telling me that someone told them this, but like some somewhere within Cartoon Network, one of the other Cartoon Networks, one of the international Cartoon Networks was begging for it. Mm. And I think this was accommodating them. Yeah. And, and so the U.S. hadn't been planning on doing that, but when they found out that there was this big need for it, they said, yeah, we'll take it on. And so they they did. So it was really, uh, you know, a favor to one of the Cartoon Networks, but um, which sounds nice. It sounds very accommodating. So uh, but, you know, to to do something big like reboot Powerpuff Girls, I mean, that's a big thing, but they didn't continue doing it. Right. I I think it maybe lasted two seasons and then it kind of fizzled out. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it didn't last too long. But uh, staying on the good Powerpuff Girls, like I said, I don't really like digging into shows like that. Um, I, I got a lot of flack for it in the beginning of this, the, this show. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. most people take a lot of it. What you like is what you like. And if you, yeah. if you know, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Side, sidebar for just a sec. I cook for a living. I've told that, told the story multiple times. I absolutely hate it when somebody takes me to their favorite restaurant because I don't shit on anything. I don't sit here and and tell you what what's bad about it because at the end of the day, I can't do I can't do what animators do. I can't do what writers do. I can't do what voice actors do. So mm-hmm. for me to sit here and say, oh, it's not good. That's all perception. Art is right. Artist right. perception. You think something you could think, I don't know, this can that uh, there's an Instagram page that has, it's called crushed cans, right? Mm. So the entire Instagram page is just crushed cans all over the place. That's art to somebody. To me, it's somebody littering, right? That's, that's what it is. Um, like I said, so it's, it's all about perception shows, cartoons and all that stuff. Um, but uh, I, I, I don't like digging into shows and I try to try to stay away from it as much as possible. <laughs> but at the end of the day, my opinion was, is just, it just wasn't as good as the first. Very few times can you capture lightning in a bottle. When you can, right. there's something yeah. special. And it seems like mm-hmm. with these creators, they might not catch it in the bottle with the same thing. But Craig's caught it four different times in four different bottles with Powerpuff Girls, with Fosters, with Wander, and with, with Kid Cosmic. And I'm pretty sure he's got some, he's got a storm brewing somewhere. I'm pretty sure, because Kid Cosmic, have you watched that one yet? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's great. I watched it right when it premiered. So that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. I liked, I liked Craig doing that new look, you know, I think he always seems to want to challenge himself, things like that. So I thought it looked great. I thought it was a lot of fun and they're doing a new season, right? They, they did a second season. Uh, Well, they got three seasons out all all together. So back in February, they wrapped it up. So there's only six episodes in the last season. It's phenomenal. And have you watched the first two? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So did you see the PPG made a made a cameo at the end? Not technically, because they can't. I can't remember that the acronym they used for it, but it was essentially PPG for Powerpuff Girls. Oh, so right. I, right. I can't remember what they used and they were all dressed the same colors and everything like that. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm remembering that now. That yeah. was, I, you know, he had a lot of little references to things in there. And so I, I figured he would do that. I'm trying to remember. I may not have seen that one, but I, uh, (laughs) yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to check that out. I'll have to watch a little more closely, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, well, it was interesting to me because when, when he started pitching his next show at Cartoon Network, in my mind, we should just say, you know, okay, Craig, here's your budget, you know, tell us what you want to do. And they, kind of gave him a, a like it was all new management at that point uh betty had left and and uh mike lazo had moved over to adult swim around that time and uh you know the cartoon network was very much under uh the the you know the the aol time warner merger kind of, yeah like that that group of you know people in charge and the person who was in charge at the time was very, very nervous. He didn't really, I don't think he liked animation very much and he didn't really understand it particularly well. And I, I think that he, he didn't have instincts and Foster's Home didn't look like other shows and it didn't, it like, it, did, it wasn't exactly like something else. And I remember he, he was very nervous about it and he wasn't sure if it was going to be good or not. And, and Craig had to keep pitching the show and, you know, it was really sort of uh, frustrating to me. And I, you know, I kept thinking, well, this is Craig and it's going to be the same team and the, they're going to do a great job. And, and I remember the head of Cartoon Network at the time saying, 
this feels more like a Pixar movie. And I said, and that's a problem because why? <laughs> is, is Pixar like, is, are you saying this is too popular? This is too accessible seeming for like, yeah. Like what, what's your point here? Like, like in my mind, you know, calling something Pixar like was like, you know, like the best compliment you could give something, you know, this was like in, in 2003. And I was like, you think it's like Pixar? That's so cool. And this was a problem for him. So, so I remember thinking, um, you know, that was a problem for me that he was thinking that this was a problem, but uh, you know, like, like I had told you uh, earlier, you know, Craig had been, sort of, you know, he was pitching the show and kind of figuring it out as he was pitching it. And it just kept getting sort of more sort of figured out each time he'd pitch it, he'd get a little closer to it. So it was okay that it took him a while to do, but uh, that was a, you know, like, like in my mind, we just should have said, yeah, whatever you want. And that's kind of what we did with Gendy, you know, with Gendy, he said, you know, going to do a show about a samurai. And we said, okay. And he said, it's going to be called Samurai Jack. And I was like, will it be funny? Because that sounds like it's going to be funny. And he was like, eh, maybe a little. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so what's going to happen? <laughs> and I remember, you know, he just kind of told us what he was going to do. And we, we all just kind of said, okay, just make it good. And, you know, hopefully it'll be good. And I, I remember explaining it to someone and I, I said, yeah, you know, it's called Samurai Jack. And it's, it's kind of like, like if, if UPA made Kung Fu, it's kind of like that. And they were like, that sounds interesting. And I said, yeah, you know, I think this is going to be one of those shows that like, you can't compare it to anything yet, but like someday people will use it as a reference reference point for other things like I, I think it will be the first of its kind kind of like Powerpuff Girls was yeah. and uh you know and and so we felt like we felt really comfortable with that and, and you know something about me is I like doing everything for the first time you know I like to be the first person who did this or the first person who did that or the person who said you know yes to some weird thing just to see what it was like I like being that person now when you're that person a lot of stuff goes wrong, you know, a, a lot of, you make a lot of decisions that don't work out and, you know, that you do a lot of things, you know, first doesn't always mean best. And so, you know, people can then look at what you've done and they can say, I can iterate on that and I can get it right. And it's like, yeah, you go do that. And so I never really wanted to be that person who like looked at someone else's stuff and said, yeah, I can go get it right. Um, Cause that just didn't seem that exciting to me. You know, I liked doing things that no one else had done and, and, you know, and, 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 you know, just hoping for the best and, and, you know, just hopefully they worked out. And, and, um, and so I think, uh, you know, that, that's, if you're not like that, if you don't like that level of apparently a lot of people think that's risky and I don't find that risky and which is probably why I'm able to do it is because I don't look at it and think well here's a risk but I remember with with Foster's Home it was a lot of people going well this is kind of a big risk and I remember struggling to understand what was risky about it and I was like 
is, you know, is, is it just that like, there's nothing exactly like this out there. So it's a risk. I mean, you know, like I, I, I was just a little bit into the risk taking and into the trying things out and doing things, which it's tricky when you, when you just get one or two shows a year because you, you live or die by them. Mm-hmm. If you have too many that fail, you know, someone comes along and says, yeah, I can do better than that. And, and they probably can, but um, you know, that's just me. That's like built into me. I'm a little bit of a thrill seeker in, in that way. I was always looking for, you know, designs I hadn't seen before and things that no one else was doing. And, 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 you know, like, if someone said, Oh, I can't believe you're doing that. I'd feel like, Oh yeah. All right. You know, that'd be cool. And, or I've never seen that before. And I'd be like, okay, good. And, uh, and, and that kind of feedback would always make me happy, you know, like, okay, no one's doing this. Great. And I always wanted things that seemed like they were trying something new or testing something out or, or, you know, some new creator, and, you know, not everything worked. Certainly there were a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of misses and a couple of near misses and a couple of things that we were able to get to the right point. But over time, the more people got involved in the decision-making, the more the decisions became like, you know, let's make something that everybody feels comfortable with and everyone recognizes. And, uh, and you know, that, that was, to me, that was a little bit boring. And um, so I liked, you know, I, I sort of, I liked, I liked the thrill of like, like having an idea that someone was working on and, you know, I would take the ideas and I would pitch them to the different departments. And, and I, for a while I was practicing, I was using the accounting department to practice pitching to <laughs> So that, you know, I, I would I would watch their faces and I would tell them about a, a show. And if I got it right, they'd all be like, oh, yeah, that sounds interesting. And if, if I didn't quite get it right or if the show wasn't that good, they'd have this look on their face like like they didn't get it. And so they were great. They were I loved talking with them because they were, you know, they had no no, you know, no dog in the race, you know, (laughs) it's like, they didn't care what shows we were making. They just, you know, as long as they liked them and, and they only needed to like them as, you know, fans. And so, so that was super helpful. And, you know, I found there were certain shows that I felt really excited about. I'd pitch them better because of that. And they were usually things that like had no precedent. They were just different kinds of shows. It was somebody just, you know, coming in from left field is trying something out. And so um, I think for a lot of people, that's just harder to do. It's more, it is more risky to take that approach to things. A lot of executives don't want to sort of, they want to make more of what works. You know, they want to, they're looking at what works. Okay. These things with these attributes work. So let's make more and, oh, let's get, you know, this show worked. So let's have everybody on this team, doing a show, which I think is a good idea, actually. And then, you know, they learn to, you know, make a show, making this other show. And so they bring a lot of that with them. And inevitably, the shows are pretty similar to other shows. And, and you know, Cartoon Network has a house style at this point, And they had one back, kind of back when I was there. But I used to kind of play around with that. Didn't always work. But, you know, I, I always thought Cartoon Network needed to be broader than just one style. And so... 
we try different things. And like I said, not everything worked, but you know, there, there is this sort of like in-house style now, which is also okay, but that's why things, you know, kind of feel like other things is because, you know, it's like, you know, the entire staff of, you know, some show that did particularly well, they all have their own shows now. So, you know, a lot of those jokes that they made that really worked in another show, they're going to make very similar jokes, Mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes it's the same creators just making more shows and, you know, they have certain sensibilities and not everybody has as wide of a range as you might think. So you start to see a lot of similar jokes and, you know, if they all worked somewhere along the way, you could see why people would would use them again or, or, you know, sort of build on them. So you can see how that happens. So it doesn't happen for a mean reason or a bad reason or a cheap reason. It just happens because you're, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're keeping the team together in some respect. So what do you do about that? Right? Like, how do you, how do you really get variety if you have a team that you really love and you want to give them all shows? Right. So, so I think that's a lot of what, what's happened there now, you know, that's what, what starts to happen. So, so, um, you know, you just have to hope that, that, you know, something's going to turn into an enormous hit. I mean, these days, what's a hit, you know, do people get to have hits anymore? The audience is so fragmented, right? So it it really is. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I feel bad for anyone who's you know trying to get viewers now because you know there are so many things to do so many shows to watch so many more shows to watch i can't keep up with with all so no it's it's damn near impossible everybody's got a streaming platform everybody's got a new animated show out everybody's this and that it's hard to keep up with uh so one thing i took away from from what you just said is uh when is linda coming back to run cartoon network (laughs) uh uh, linda won't be doing that um but you know other other well-qualified people will run cartoon network and you know i think the bigger question is will there be a cartoon network in five years think about that you know because it's it's kind of being you know it's like will it will it remain a cable channel will cable still exist will streaming take over will streaming go away will there be you know, will HBO Max be, you know, the umbrella and will Cartoon Network just be like, like a page on the platform? And, you know, will that be meaningful to your son who's 10 months old? You know, will he know what Cartoon Network, well, he will, he will know what Cartoon Network is, but will his friends, you know, or will they call it HBO Max? Because I've heard so many people say, oh, you know, I've watched the show on HBO Max and it's a Cartoon Network show. Yeah. And I always think it's a Cartoon Network show. Call it that. But they're watching it on HBO Max. It's an HBO Max show. So what do we do about that? And where does where does branding go? Where does Cartoon Network go and all of that? So that's the real question. It's not, you know, if I'm coming back to run it, which, which I mean, I'm not. So no problem <laughs> there. But, um, you know, I, uh, so the, the, but the real question is, you know, will it even be there? You know, will the Cartoon Network studio still exist or will it just be, you know, on a different floor at over at Warner's, you know, I mean, they're run by the Warner Brothers studio now. So, you know, is, will the people from Discovery look at the balance sheet and say, 
yes, we totally understand why these are different studios. Or are they going to say, yep, put them all together and, you know, call it all HBO Max. Like, you know, like if you don't know anything about kids programming, will you care? Possibly not. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see what happens, you know, now with them all under, uh, you know, this new, what is, what's it called? Discovery? Yeah, it's like Discovery. I know Discovery owns it, so I don't know if they're going to put it. it it's <clears throat> it's interesting what's going to happen. And until you pose that question, is there even going to be a Cartoon Network? I can't imagine if you would have told me as a little kid, maybe in 30 years from now, there's not going to be a Cartoon Network. I would look at you, kick you in the nuts and say you're a liar because I would <laughs> right. anything. But now mm-hmm. now that you, you pose that question, it is it's very terrifying because you, you look at it and you don't know who to believe as far as the Netflix situation goes. Mm-hmm. Netflix right. just threw out a whole bunch of axes and I haven't read too much into yeah. it because I don't want to be depressed. Yeah. So just looking at what certain people are saying, you take bullet points out of the article, but then you hear what some of the creators are saying on Twitter, like uh, Jorge was uh, Gutierrez, Mayan the Three, Book of Life, El Tigre, and a few other things that he's working on now. Um, mm-hmm. Aichiwawa with uh, Netflix and, and, and the Fluffy. Um, but he was like, yeah, it's, it's still there. You know, he's like, but nothing really happened. They just some reshuffling and shit happens like that all the time. The animation industry right. fire, yeah. come in. Yep. New, I mean, it happened in cartoon network a couple different times, you know, Fred, yeah. yeah. a new, a new guy that was in charge and a new person after that and a new person now. I mean, so it's, it's ever changing and it's ever evolving, but I just can't imagine a world um, where there's not a cartoon network. And since we're on a hypothetical chain right now, I know you're having a bunch of fun at your current job in Duolingo. So this is just a hypothetical. So if Duolingo listens, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to sway Miss Linda to go to Cartoon Network again. However, do you ever see yourself in a hypothetical situation, possibly going back if Cartoon Network's still around to run Cartoon Network? Would you like that job or would that just be, meh, I've done that already? Yeah, I've done it already. I mean, I, I did. I, I feel like I worked at Cartoon Network at, such an amazing time Mm -hmm. like it was it was so amazing and I remember there was one point where where like oh it was the it was the day that the uh, screwy squirrel April Fool's Day (laughs) gag and and like mayhem was ensuing and I I looked at the person next to me Kaki Jones and I said to her yeah we're gonna look back at this time and be like wow that was the best and she said really are we really gonna do this and I said yeah we are because this is the best and I remember feeling that way for several years. I remember sitting with like the whole management team at a point just as we were getting the studio off the ground and looking at it, at this and saying, this is the best. It will just never be this great again because this is so perfect. This, this is like everybody I'd ever want to work with all in one room, all excited. And it was so perfect that I knew it could never last. And then well, it didn't. Perfect. But, uh, it was the right people and it was the right time and we had the right level of freedom and we were working on shows that we were really excited about and everyone was just super excited and you know there were no no duds in the crowd you know nobody like being miserable you know everybody was just really excited we were all like working towards the same thing everyone felt good the studio was about to open you know it, it was just just it felt kind of perfect and you know i i like to work at places where you can have that feeling 
And I, I, you know, I, I feel like, you know, Cartoon Network is, it's much more corporate now than it, than it was at that point. And what I've learned about myself is I like to do things that require building. I like to work for companies when they're still figuring things out or, you know, if something's gone so wrong that they need to bring someone in to fix it, you know, like, like I'm that person. I like to come in and sort of, you know, build things from the ground up. And that's why, you know, Duolingo reminds me so much of the early days of Nick because it's still in this, in this building mode. And it's, it's kind of, you know, like it's the kind of company I love. There's a very strong visionary at the lead and he really has an idea of where he wants to go and he gives us a lot of freedom, but he really has a very clear idea of where he wants things to go. And basically if you buy into his vision, then you've got a lot of freedom to help carry that out, which is great. And it reminds me a lot of those early days of cable when we had all this freedom and, you know, we were surrounded by other great people, you know, really thinking, okay, how do we do this? And so it was like great minds, lots of freedom and, you know, the ability to sort of to, to build something, to have a vision and to be able to communicate it and to build it. And that all felt really great. And uh, I feel like Cartoon Network, they, you know, we, we, they're, they're just in another phase. And the phase they're in, I think, is, you know, how do they fit into this bigger company that they're part of? And, you know, they, they are figuring that out now. And the people who are there are great. So, you know, there's no problem. Uh, but, you know, like... Like, you know, so much of what I liked about Cartoon Network was that in my mind, it was clear what the brand is. And I don't know that, that you know, in five years, that brand will still be that brand. It may just be, you know, a generic, um, you know, uh, uh, HBO Max kids or something. You know, it may just be that. And so I, I feel like, you know, Cartoon Network's in good hands and you know, they don't need me back. Um, I, I feel like where I am now, you know, I, what I like about Duolingo is just this idea that, you know, like, like there's a, there's a big theory in, in sort of the academic side, the theoretical side of animation. And uh, uh, it, it, it's basically uh, talking about uh, how pervasive animation is. Animation is a pervasive medium. You, see animation virtually everywhere now you know it's not just cartoons you see animation like wherever you look wherever you go you know you you put on a meditation app and there's animation there so i like that i'm working on animation that's going to show up in the app that you're using to learn spanish or French or whatever, or that actually across the United and across the world, most people are using it to learn English. So, um, so, you know, I'm working on the stories and I'm working on shorts with those characters who are in the stories and also working on, uh, you know, figuring out what to do with, with, you know, all the characters and all the different kinds of things you can do. And, and, 
and you know it's a lot of fun but it's also figuring out you know where where do you where can you use animation here and there's something so much fun about figuring things out and then you know calling people in and saying hey can you help you know when i got to duolingo one of the first people i met was eric kaplan and he wow. was i don't know if he talked about that at all but he was essentially uh, like story. He was like a story editing consultant for uh, for the team that I I work on, and so he was one of the first people I met there. And I was like, wow, <laughs> getting to work with Eric Kaplan, and you know, he's trying to not to geek out too much, but he's really funny. And so, so he was helping on the Duolingo stories. So if that gives you some sense of you know, how Duolingo thinks. It's like, it's like, they're just like, please make these funny, you know, just like here, these are great characters, have fun, you know, the funnier, the better. And, uh, and so, so, you know, we're, of course, you know, using them to teach language. So there, there are some constraints and everything, but really interesting figuring out something new. So, um, you know, like, who wouldn't want to do that? Like, I think, I think the entire, animation industry thought I'd lost my mind when I said I was going to Duolingo. But, you know, there was a reason there. And it, it was sort of like working under this theory that animation is pervasive. It's like, how cool would it be to see animation in places you didn't expect to see it? So, you know, I always wanted a job that was like, you know, sort of not the place you'd think I'd go. And, and so I was, I, I kept thinking, well, whatever I do next, it hasn't been invented yet. And then when I got the call about this job, it actually was, I was like, that's the job. It's been invented. And this sounds cool. And, uh, and so that's, that's really what I like doing is, is sort of, you know, all new things. So if someone's starting up a new channel, I would do that. Cartoon you know that? plus, is that what you're saying? <laughs> it won't be that though you know it it wouldn't wouldn't be that but but you know another thing that that i have to say is you know when i when i got into cartoons there weren't that many that were good and now there's so many you know so many cartoons out there and you know and it's like the the part of my brain that wants to do things first just keeps saying well what else can you do with animation? What else would be interesting? What else would surprise people? What else would be different? And that's what I like figuring out. You know, I like sort of uh, figuring out what's next and where is it going to be? And so, so I don't, I don't feel any big pull. I think if I felt like Cartoon Network needed me, you know, that would be different, but I feel like they've got good people there. And, uh, and, you know, I don't know what I could add at this point. You know, I, I feel like um, it's, uh, you know, it's it's doing fine. So we'll see. Yeah, five we'll years see. from now, we'll see. Right. Right. Well, that's true. If it's not around in five years, we'll know they didn't do a very good job. No. And then they should have put Linda's bat signal in the air a lot sooner. So, <laughs> um, so what I've what I've noticed uh, is we just need. Cartoon Network. We need Duolingo to get it off, and then you can get it. You build it up to the height you can get it to, and then Cartoon Network's going to call because they're floundering. This is all of what I'm getting from this in this hypothetical situation. They're going to put a Linda Linda signal in the air, and then Linda is going to come and save the day. Um, well, here's yeah. a, a funny story: is that when um, when Tim Shea was talking to me about this job, he said he said 
you know, like what I really imagine, like, you know, I don't know, five years from now is like, you know, we'll either be like a, like a Sesame street for adults, or we'll be like a cartoon network for uh, people who want to make uh, cartoons about the, the topics that we're teaching. And, and I, I was like, oh, magic words, you know, it's just making me want to do this even more. And I, I don't think he was really thinking about like, me and the sort of things I'd respond to. I think he was just thinking out loud about what his vision was. Yeah. And it just happened to be like, you know, the magic words that, you know, that, you know, I needed to hear. And I was already excited about the job. And when he said that, I was like, oh, thank God. But, um, <laughs> you know, so, so that's like, you know, anytime anyone says it's the Cartoon Network of this or that, it's like, that works for me. But, you know, I, I'm not feeling any any pull to, you know, do something I've, I've, I've done before. And uh, I, you know, I, I, I just, I look at TV now and I think, you know, TV at this point, it's, it's just, you know, it's just another screen. So you really can't think about, you know, like you just have to think about, you know, is it, is it in a place where people will actually know about it and find it and get to see it? And that's, you know, that's really the only important thing now. But I, I do wonder a lot about, about branding and about, you know, all those brands that were so carefully built over a few decades of cable, what happens to them all? You know, like, does Nickelodeon just become Paramount plus kids? Like, or does the Nick name mean something? You know, Disney's fine. They just called everything Disney and they're still Disney. So, you know, they're set, they've but got, uh, they got money for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. They're good. But everybody else, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, do those brands mean anything and we'll know in five years. Right. But, uh, you know, I, I feel like, uh, you know, kids may not be paying a lot of attention to where they watch things either. Like when I was a kid, you know, we watched Saturday morning cartoons. I couldn't tell you what channel anything was on. When I think back to it, I remember the cartoons. I don't remember which channels they were on because it was ABC, NBC, CBS. I mean, I remember what was on PBS, but like everything else just all blended together. And so I I feel like, you know, for for kids now, they just have to be able to find it. And, you know, do they understand the difference between... Netflix and Paramount Plus and Peacock, you know, I, I don't know. There are there big differences. They're just going to look for the shows they want to watch. And that's that. So I know that's all probably pretty strange sounding, but no, not at all. You want to hear something really sad and pathetic. I can tell you the channel for um, from channel three, all the way to channel 73 from when I was a kid, it is, oh, yeah? oh, it is, fucking disgusting uh 34 was nickelodeon and 35 was disney and 36 was cartoon network um those were the three channels i watched the most well that uh, makes sense that you would know that you know because they were distinct channels and and you know that that makes perfect sense but my brain works for very stupid shit like if my brain worked for math and science and language i'd probably be in a mansion right now not surrounded by ninja turtle shit and cartoon network stuff my brain works for fucking stupid movie quotes cartoons that i absolutely love sports statistics 
before 2008. So from like 96 to 2008 for the NBA, I can damn near mm-hmm. tell you, even past that, I can tell you who won every championship every year. Um, but it, it is disgusting on how much useless knowledge that I have up here that benefits nobody besides me. I can sit, like I said, I can sit there and I can tell you pretty much the block on what, um, what shows came on when, uh, uh-huh. And it's funny living in Orlando and, and when you were talking about this dystopian future that is void of Cartoon Network five years from now, the first thing that came to mind was the Nickelodeon Studios. My first introduction to oh, yeah. animation was, I don't know if I told you the story. I know I've told the story a few times on there, but it was through SpongeBob, right? Mm-hmm. Um when I had uh, Dave Cunningham, he's the uh, he's showrunner over at the Patrick Star Show. He did Camp Coral. He worked on SpongeBob for quite some time. So I told him this story as well. Um, whenever we were walking through Universal, they were handing out tickets. Um, they were getting ready to roll out SpongeBob back in the mid 90s, early 90s. I think SpongeBob came out in 99, it was before the turn of the century. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they were they were still doing some animation out in Orlando. They were starting to close down the Orlando studios, uh, mm-hmm. but they were still doing a little bit. And they were doing this little bit of tour. And if you've been out to Universal Studios Orlando, now it's where the Jimmy Fallon ride is. That's where the I believe oh, that's where this yeah. ride is, or mm-hmm. where the the thing was for the animation studios. So we're walking around. They're handing out tickets. And they said, "Hey, come by. We're going to roll out this new show, this new cartoon, in a year or two. Um, but we want to show everybody it." So I'm going up there and I'm fuck balls deep in animation. I loved it. I want to be, I want to be an animator. I want to draw. I love drawing. Um, and then I see this little lone artist over there. We're doing the tour and we're looking down into where the uh, artist, artist alley, artist room, wherever it's called. And uh, the guy keeps drawing stuff, ripping it down and throwing it over. And there's a pile of just balled up pieces of paper on the ground next to his trash can. And I go and I remember asking the lady, I was like, why is he throwing those down? They look like perfectly good drawings. He was like, well, if it's not on model, it's not on spec. He has to start over. It has to be a specific way because the creator, the showrunners and all these other people, they have a certain way of doing it. If it doesn't match, he has to start over. And I remember in that point in time, I'm six, seven, eight years old, whatever I am, snap. I will never do this at all because all of my paint, all of my drawings, my mom thought was really, really good. And she would hang them up on the refrigerator. So I didn't understand that they would just throw them away. I didn't understand there was, you have to throw away 10,000 drawings before you really get to master because this is craft, right? So Mm -hmm. looking at what Nickelodeon studios used to be, and I drive by it Mm -hmm. almost once or twice a month. Now, when we had tickets for universal, we would go every weekend. We would go at least one day and we'd spend it down there. Mm-hmm. past the old Nickelodeon the studios but the, the hotel and it looks like what adults look like now devoid of color and happiness that's what the Nickelodeon hotels look like now just muted colors it doesn't have the bright orange and the greens everything that made Nickelodeon fun for the hotel and the studios and all mm-hmm. that stuff is completely gone it literally looks like it grew up and got a real job as a hotel it's yeah, yeah it's horrible and that when you were talking about that the first thing I think I was like fuck there's going to be no more black and i mean i don't think there's any more black and white checkerboard cartoon network i think they completely changed the logo um but it's like it's going to just reverse like which letters were white on black and which ones were black on white i think that was the newest interpretation of the logo was they just swapped the uh the old logo i mean this they had this was the best logo i mean i loved what they did with it whenever a show would come on and you'd have the characters playing with it um mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not really. 
oh yeah it's just it's a a big c a, a big n and then it says cartoon network underneath it so the cartoon for the c is a white letter and then it's a block black n with a white outline that says cartoon network underneath it um it's like i said it looks like it grew up and got a real job um yeah well the original cartoon network logo had you know it was it was the white on black so if it's if it's black on white now then that would be would have been considered a, a no it's okay so it's about the same as yeah. it had yeah they go so i don't know it's not not radically different but that's okay you know i yeah. i think that you know it's it's tough being like running a channel these days because you're you know you're trying to stand out in a world where kids aren't watching channels anymore they're just going wherever they can stream which makes sense but it's like it's you know watching streaming is different from watching tv and you you choose what you want to watch at any time so you know what what happened to you what happened to me when we'd sit down and watch tv so you watched what was on sometimes and you or you watch what was in between two things you wanted to watch just because of inertia and now you don't have to do that. Now you just, you can watch, you know, all the episodes of a show and then you move on to the next thing and you don't have to watch reruns anymore unless you choose to. Yeah. And it's a very different viewing experience. And, you know, chances are, you know, you're, you're watching some TV and then you're going off and playing games. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so it's a very different world that kids are growing up in. So the viewing experience is, is not the same. And we can't force what worked for us on kids now because they're living in a different universe. Yes. And uh, so, you know, it just keeps getting weirder and weirder. And, <laughs> you know, and I, you know, I teach, I teach three different courses and I teach a different one. And I sort of go through like one year I teach one, next year I teach the next one, then I teach the third one. Then I go back to the first one and I update my course. So the notes are always like three years behind. And I'll, I'll look at like the last couple of classes when I'm sort of predicting for the future. And I always think, oh, so cute. And then, you know, I, I go and I update it. And so, so yeah, so you, you know, the, the industry is changing pretty quickly now. And the, you know, the good news is, Cartoons are still huge, yes. you know, cartoons are still a big part of, you know, a, a viewing diet. And it seems like, like, you know, there's still, there's still a need for good cartoons. So there's still some, you know, interesting stuff that's being made. So that's good. Um, you know, are there going to be shows that, you know, fall through the cracks because they're just too many? Yeah. If, if numbers, stay consistent then yes they're going to continue to be things that we just don't even hear about or see so there's that but um you know it's not it's not bad for animation if anything you know animation during during covid survived you know people yeah. were able to keep animation going more than live action so you know animation you know stayed on track that was good um you know, everyone's continuing with their studios. I guess the question is, you know, who will be making the, the you know, unusual and quirky shows? Where will they come from? There still will be them, but, you know, where will they come from? So that we have to see, you know, 
what happens. Uh, hard to know. Hard There's to know. A lot, but of, a lot of good places to work. Yeah, there, there. Yeah, if you want to work in the industry, there are a lot of good places to work. And um, you know, I, I think that that you know, it, it it's it's it, it is easy to get sentimental about like a Cartoon Network or whatever. But you know, you look at sort of the the ease that you can watch a lot of different things with now, and it's like, and how many things there are. You know, people now who are kids are going to look back at this and be like, well, that was the best. Yeah. So, so, so at least there's that, you know, at least people haven't given up on animation because that was always the worry back in the early 90s. You know, when we were working on the original pilots, you know, we were like, wow, if we get this right, it's good for animation. If we get this wrong, it's really bad for animation. You know? <laughs> and it's like, that's a lot of pressure. And when people ask me about the the 90s, I always say, well, there was a lot of yelling. Everybody yelled at each other a lot. And it's like, we were under a lot of pressure. You know, the fate of animation was in our hands, or at least that's how we saw it. We believed we had the fate of animation in our hands and that if we messed it up, it was going to be a very sad thing. And the good news is we didn't mess it up. No. And, uh, you know, so so the industry now you know it's it's great it's big it's you know it's uh uh you know there have been lots of innovations i think uh people have gotten better at storytelling maybe they're funnier like i look at at sh certain shows now and i i think wow you know it's like like we bear bears i really like we bear bears so i always think you know they might not have let me make that when i was there you know they might have said you know these characters are too cute you can't make them. And, uh, you know, or, or, you know, that character speaking Korean and there's no subtitles. You can't do that. And now they can. And so I, I always think, wow, that's really cool that they get to, you know, that they get to do that. You know, that's the show that, you know, and, and, you know, there's several shows like that where I think, wow, that's very cool. So, so I feel like uh, at least there's that, you know, at least there, there still are things I'm a little bit jealous of. Um, Bluey, you know, I feel like when Bluey came along, you know, that's like, I felt like I don't need to work in preschool anymore. The best show's been made. So <laughs> I can move on. Well, it's good to have that kind of attitude and that kind of foresight. But like I said, you guys laid the foundation for what comes next. I mean, um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> now I know you said we, you, you, you weren't there for very long with Fosters. However, mm -hmm. Since we've been talking about change in the industry, I do want to bring up one thing and see if you've noticed it as well before we talk, get on to Fosters. Um, when you were, when you're saying like the kids are just going to find it, they don't care if they don't have the same brand loyal, like growing up, you were a Cartoon Network kid or you're a Nickelodeon kid. You know, mm -hmm. most of the time Disney was either, or you'd watch some Disney shows mm -hmm. for the most part, you stuck around for the movies. Um, so it was a orange or a black and white checker kid, depending on what, what you picked. Right now with the way animation and just shows are in general is streaming services. Most people watch them online. Everybody's got an app to watch something. Um, but mm -hmm. what I've noticed is, especially with this younger generation, I have a 12 year old has done two things, right? It's tapped me into what I used to think was cool that I know is not cool because on a consistent basis, he tells me whatever I do and whatever I watch is not cool. It's not what the kids are doing. So it's, it's like that, in consistent tap to mortality you're like oh man this is 
you're passing me by here type of thing. But it's also seeing what he likes and what the kids like. And what I've noticed is, is there's such a huge influx in not so much animation that I grew up with, but anime. Anime. Yeah. I I, I I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. It's uh, anime goes in waves Mm -hmm. also, you know, it depends on what's coming out in anime and it's, you know, and, and, and what's available to uh, people who don't speak Japanese, you know, like, like, you know, what, what you can get in English and there's so much you can get right now. Mm -hmm. It's like, I think of my, my students from 10 years ago, and they were obsessed with anime. And I had a class filled with anime fanatics to the point where the, the, the day we got to anime, I said, okay, I'm just going to step back and I'm going to let all of you talk about your favorite anime. And they were psyched and they talked, you know, they filled three hours with you yeah. know, what anime they liked. Um, and then it, it kind of quieted down a bit. Like for a while, people weren't watching as much. And now it's back. And I think it has a lot to do with accessibility. There are, you know, a lot of opportunities to watch it. And there are a lot of opportunities to watch it in, you know, fairly, you know, either well subtitled or well dubbed Mm -hmm. uh, uh, English. And, um, you know, it's all available. It's all there. And uh, I think, you know, I think that has a lot to do with it. And, you know, it's... um, it's different. And I have noticed that a lot of my students watch it. I've, uh, both of my kids went through an anime phase. Um, you know, a lot of kids are, are going through that. And so I, I think that's, uh, you know, it, I mean, you could, you could call it like a fourth or fifth wave of, of anime, but I, I think there's always been that, uh, you know, there was, uh, a wave of it when I was a little kid you know, yeah. Speed Racer and Gigantor and, and Kimba and all of those. And there just is something appealing about it. And, uh, and you know, sometimes it's just the storytelling is so different, mm-hmm. but so cute. And, you know, I think, I think, you know, and, and big ideas and, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of appealing stuff. So I get it. And I think, um, uh, you know, I think, I think that it's just a cycle, you know, it's, it's like, it's like you go through cycles where, you know, there's a huge Pixar movie, there's a huge Disney movie, there's a big Nick show, there's anime, and then you start again and, you know, and it's sort of, you know, so I, uh, but I was thinking that too, that, you know, anime is big right now, thanks to things like Crunchyroll and, and, you know, other services like that. And, um, a lot of people are watching it. Adults are watching it. And, um, you know, a lot of references at work when we're talking about things, people will make a lot of Marvel references and a lot of anime references. And I would say five years ago, you weren't hearing a lot about either uh, Marvel or, I mean, you know, there was always Marvel, but right now there's so much Marvel that's Mm -hmm. out there that, you know, anything you need, you can find a reference to it, you know, (laughs) so, uh, or, or a version of Spider-Man that you can refer to, you know? 100%. So, yeah. So, so I think that that makes sense. What else is your son watching? Like what else is that, he in? That's pretty much it. Like we, like we'll watch cart, we'll watch anime together. Like I, I started to get him onto the shows I watched and mm-hmm. then he just has, I don't want to say he has no life because most 12 year olds don't have a life, but he has no life. I've, I'm damn near working 10 and a half, 12 hours before travel. 
on a, mm -hmm. on a day to day basis. So my my consumption is generally limited to a couple hours a week. And then most mm -hmm. of the time, I don't even watch my shows anymore. I just I, I've got them recorded. I watch yeah. when I get to them. But now I just watch like mm -hmm. we're watching a we're watching an anime now called Attack on Titan. I don't know if you've seen this. No, uh, I haven't seen that one. So it is phenomenal. Uh, it, it's it's essentially this. Think of like castles in medieval time. However, they have some kind of technological capabilities, and there's these things called titans that are come in and they feed on the humans. They they built up these castle walls, and there's just these behemoths, these monsters come in and just destroy everything. And it's mm -hmm. them versus these titans, and they're trying to figure out how to survive. Um, it's a weird concept, but it is a phenomenal show. We're on like season three. The other one is My Hero, which is essentially Marvel. If you like Marvel movies, it's this, but in the Japanese form, it's phenomenal. Um, but yeah, he he tends to stick with a lot of anime because uh, that's what all of his friends are watching. Um, right. I noticed a huge uptick in his anime consumption compared to regular cartoons during the pandemic. Because oh, during yeah. the pandemic, yeah. when they, they put a whole bunch, and I think it started with Naruto, um, mm -hmm. And I've heard a lot of the voice actors say, like, I my my lines were okay. And then he was like, post-pandemic, he was like, we thought it was a little bit of a bump because everybody just wanted to get out. And then I start seeing kids that are 12 and 13 and younger coming up to me. And this show has been off the air since before they were born. So I, he's like, I don't know what happened. And then I was like, how did you, he was like, how did you find out about the show? Or how do you know this character? Is it your dad? Is it your mom? He's like, some of them would say, yeah, my dad watched it. My mom watched it with me. Yeah. But most of them were coming up and saying, no, Netflix. I saw your show on Netflix. And then he was oh, like, yeah. Yeah. On Netflix. They're like, well, it came on during the pandemic. So that's all we had to watch was we started with Naruto and then Naruto right. went to this and then went to this and went to this. And then I like when I talk to my son, because I try to see if I plug into him, I know where I need to go as far as, you know, where to get seen, where to get heard. So I'm like, what right. are you guys watching? He was like, anime. And I was like, well, what anime? And he was like, all of them. And I was like, Jesus Christ, with this kid. All right, which one? So I know what to talk to you about. And he was like, holy, watch this one, this one, this one, this one, and this one. And then the best thing you can do to get your kid to talk is to talk to them about stuff they like. The mm -hmm. worst thing you can do is talk to your kids about the stuff that they like because they just won't shut the hell up. I love my son, but Jesus, he'll go on and on and on. He's like, yeah, you still listen? And I'm like, Buddy, I'm gonna be real honest. I checked out about 37 minutes ago when you started talking about these different fighting styles with these two different guys. I tried to watch the show with you. I couldn't get into it. It's just not my thing. Mm -hmm. So, but we've we've found like certain things. So he'll pick a show and then we'll watch it. And then I'll pick a show and then uh -huh. we'll watch it. And then we just go back and forth that way. We're not all consuming what dad wants to watch. We're not all consuming what Hayden wants to watch. And then I'm right. I don't want to say I'm forcing him to broaden his horizons, but most kids won't go out and try broccoli brussels sprouts asparagus shit like that and right. they yeah. force them to try it and it's the same right. thing with content they only want to watch what their friends are watching um but sure. yeah sure yeah so yeah. how does a 12 year old react to the old cartoons like do they look old that's the first thing he says he just looks at me like whenever i turn on like the tv and i put on the cable box he's like dad do we have to watch cable and i was like dude what the fuck is wrong with cable and he was like there's commercials and i was like you watch commercials on Hulu. I was like, I had to watch commercials. I recorded this on a VHS. And he was like, what's a VHS? I'm like, shut up. Not right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, but yeah, he, he, uh, he, he'll put it on and, and, and he'll watch certain things. Like, uh, what was he just watching? Um, oh shit. It was, um, he's been really hooked and it's more of an anime inspired show, but the teen Titans go. Oh um, yeah. 
technically counts because it's inspired by the chibi style of, of, of anime. Um, so he's, he's watched that and he's watched that series like fucking four or five times, but he's in this uh, weird in-between stage where he'll watch like live action type of stuff. Like he loves, like he's a little karate kid. Um, so he's got his brown belt and Kempo karate. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's watched a lot of Cobra Kai, um, oh, yeah. a, lot, a lot of the Kung Fu movies that I used to watch as a kid. We watch a lot of those. Um, so he, he watches some really interesting stuff, like anything that's on Disney plus he watches anything that's on, on Netflix. But like I said, his, his main diet is generally anime with sprinkled in old shows that we used to watch. Like he just goes through phases where he'll put something on that he's seen four times and he'll watch mm-hmm. it again. I'm like watching this one again. He was like, yeah, it's really good. I was like, yeah, man, it was good. Like four times ago. Now it's not so good. He was like, no, no, it's just better. So it's, it's weird. His, his watching habits. So. Well, they're just, they're different than ours were, but you know, we watch the same things over and over again, just not willingly. We watch them because that's what we were fed. Yeah. And you know, he's, he's got full power to not watch them and he's yeah. still opting to watch them. But I remember my, my kids every now and then would discover an older cartoon and they'd get really into it. Like they discovered courage, the cowardly dog, and they, like you know years after it ran the first time and they got really into that and um futurama they got really into futurama at one point and they watched all those and um a couple things like that where like it was just years after it had come out and they were just discovering it and i thought that's good you know i worked on that i remember at one point i was i was talking to my son and he said it was right when the new season of samurai jack was premiering you know the recent one and he was going over to a friend's house and, and he said, so we were watching an old one and we let the credits run. And I saw your name because you worked on that. And I, I said, yeah, yeah. I worked on, uh, on like the first 52. And he said, oh, that's really cool. I like that show. And I said, I've been waiting for this moment. And I ran upstairs and I, I grabbed a Samurai Jack t-shirt that I actually, I did want to give him at some point. And I was like, I've been saving this for you. And he's like, oh, cool. And he puts it on and he's like, yeah, we're going to go watch the the new episodes at Dean's house. And he goes off in his Samurai Jack t-shirt. And I was very pleased with that. And, uh, you know, really so, so I was, you know, I was like, that's really good that you went back and you watched the old episodes. That's cool. What'd you think? And he's like, oh yeah, it's cool. And so I, uh, I remember feeling like, okay, that's good. You know, it's like, we were connecting over this and that's good because I would show my kids like at one point I showed them um, like some Doug and some Ren and Stimpy and, and they were like, these seem old. And, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I guess, you know, they are old by your standards. They're yeah. old. What can you do? So, so that was a little, like, I didn't know what to make of that. I, you know, so I never really pushed them to watch anything that they weren't in the mood to watch, but they did go back and watch all of the Powerpuff and the, they went through a Dexter phase and, and um, I never told them about Ren and Stimpy. <laughs> I didn't want to have to explain that to them. So, you know, I got so much heat from that the last time you were on because I, mm-hmm. Ren and Stimpy is one of those shows mm-hmm. I've, I've brought this up because there's at least once a month that I'll get a message that somebody will go back and watch the first episode we did together. And then you bring mm-hmm. up Ren and Stimpy. And I was like, I fucking hated the quote unquote. I fucking hated that show growing mm-hmm. up. And then I've went back since and watched it. 
because there were so many, like I said, I just hate shitting on things. I try to, I try to be as objective as possible. I try not to put anything out there because I don't want to negatively influence something. And then somebody doesn't watch it because right. there's so mm-hmm. many people that will go out there and they'll read a review on something. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to watch this because one person said it was horrible. I hear mm-hmm. that so often. I, like I said, I just try to stay away from it. So I went mm-hmm. back and like I said, it wasn't for me growing up because it was mm-hmm. definitely aimed at that teenage level. When I was watching, I was like six, seven, eight years old, somewhere around there. I didn't right. understand 98% of the stuff. Right. Yeah. Go back and rewatch that. I still don't understand quite a bit of the right. stuff, but I could appreciate yeah. it for what it is. And there was some funny stuff in there. And it all got turned around when I had Billy West on. I went back and watched his episode and I watched your episode and just hearing him talk about it and then hearing the way other people looked at it and just dropping all preconceived notions, leaving the ego type of thing at the door. And I had to, I had to, I had to, what's the word, imbibe in a lot of THC. So Mm -hmm. I I smoked quite a few joints and I was like, you know what, let me just sit back. Let me just completely let go of whatever preconceived notion I had on this show. And I put it on and I gotta say, I laughed quite a bit at the show. It was pretty good. I mean, I don't know what looking back on something when you're younger, you're just like, nah, I just didn't like that. It was the same thing as a kid. Right. Like, ah, I just don't like Brussels sprouts. Right. I keep bringing up. Right. Brussels sprouts. Yeah. But it's just like, man, I didn't like that. And then you go back and you retry it and you're like, wow, this was, there was some, a lot of good stuff in here that I just completely wrote off because maybe I had a bad day when I saw something. Mm-hmm. So ever since, like I said, I get at least one comment a month, maybe once every other month now, because I haven't shit on anything, but Whenever yeah. Ren and Stimpy comes up, that one was for quite some time after your episode, whether it was on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, somebody was like, man, you should really just, you know, lay off of Ren and Stimpy. It's not bad. It's pretty good. And I went back and rewatched. I'm like, yeah, man, you guys were right. I was wrong. I'll take that one on the thing. Ah, my bad. So uh, I, I can appreciate it now looking back, you know, 30 years now. So a lot of my students over the years have said their parents wouldn't allow them to watch Ren and Stimpy. Mm-hmm. I was and- a lot of students that I have now, they'll tell me, oh, yeah, my parents didn't let me watch Cartoon Network. What? Yeah. And I'm like, they should oh. be arrested for child abuse. <laughs> well, I think, you know, it, it, Cartoon Network always seemed a little edgier than everyone else. And it really wasn't. And, you know, I think a lot of people thought things like Ed, Ed and Eddie were, were edgier because of the way they looked. But you know, at the heart of it you know the, the stories were really you know they were they, they were just about friendship yes you know? kids were, growing up yeah yeah they were sort of real so I don't I don't know I think people are fussy but um I the only things I didn't let my kids watch when they were little were things that sounded annoying like if it, they had high squeaky voices I hated that so those were the shows I'd say turn that off making me crazy but uh yeah i think um i i think i think that that you know if you if you really aren't paying attention to the shows and you're just like looking at the tv and it looks chaotic you might think yeah and i don't want my kids watching that so i don't know but i'm always surprised when people tell me they 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 didn't watch cartoon network growing up because their parents wouldn't let them usually it's their moms wouldn't let them yeah, like there was two shows that were off limits, uh, three um, technically, because I wasn't allowed. Once they saw 
-hmm. Rugrats because of Angelica. And then I have Cheryl, oh, yeah. the mm -hmm. voice of Angelica. And she couldn't, mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever gotten a chance to meet her. Oh, she, sure. I know Cheryl well. She's great. One of the yeah. sweetest people I have uh -huh. ever gotten a chance to talk to. Yeah. And, you know, at the time, she was a little uncomfortable with some of the lines she had yeah. to read. I remember her telling me that. But I remember we all felt like, well, you know, there are kids just like Angelica. And, yes. you know, we, we never positioned her as a role model. We always positioned her as, you know, she'd get her comeuppance at the end. Yeah. So. 100%. You know, yeah. everybody needs a bad person. Everybody needs somebody to war against. That's what makes a story right. a story. Yeah. Um, and that's what makes a villain. And she's not really a villain in a mm -hmm. sense. It's just she's a kid and they're doing baby things. Like a kid right. doesn't yeah. know if they, the first time they hit you with a remote. You know, because that's what we're going through now with the baby. He's just grabbing stuff. Oh, and he's yeah. tapping. He's not hitting hard. He's just tapping. And you go, you tell him, no, that hurts. No, don't yeah. do that. You don't want to. So it's a learn type of thing. You know, it's the same uh -huh. thing with Angelica. She's just trying. I mean, she was pretty vindictive a lot of times. But none, nonetheless, man, Cheryl was just such a kind person. The other one was yes. the Simpsons. I couldn't yes. watch The Simpsons because of Bart Simpson. My mom oh. would say, I will not have a son that acts like Bart Simpson. So that uh -huh. one was out in the Rocco's Modern Life of all things, I was not allowed to watch because yeah, the, so, I get that. Well, yeah. the one episode she saw, um, and my my older sister Shelly ratted me out. It was uh, he was in the mall. I can't remember what the episode was, but the one the the not um, it was one of the the side characters, somebody that ran the store, was digging in his nose, and then he yeah. either flicked it or he ate it or some shit like that. My my sister goes, "Hey, mom, look at what Julian's watching." She comes in and she sees me, just stupid shit. She's like, "Nope, absolutely not." no mas so yeah Rocco was filled with things that people still ask me about and <laughs> and it's like you know it, the problem at that point was that you know they were they were making Rocco at the height of Ren and Stimpy mm -hmm. like the Ren and Stimpy magic had exploded and you know like by 1992 everybody in the animation industry industry had serious Ren and Stimpy envy yeah and so this is the new show that's being made by the people who made Ren and Stimpy. So basically, if we let Ren and Stimpy do it, we had to let Rocco do it. And they wanted to do everything, you know, yeah. they wanted they just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And and, you know, we all just kind of felt like, well, OK, you can do that. You can do that because we would have said yes to that in Ren and Stimpy. So, yes, you can do that. And they just pushed. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, th th there were there were real moments of brilliance in Rocco. And then there were other very disgusting moments, yeah, there's and, some duds. <laughs> you know, intentional, disgusting moments. But, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of the people who worked on Rocco went on to do great things. So it was like, a you know, it had its pluses. But I could see why your mom might have said no to that. There were some moments in it where. You know, I, I I understand. You know, I mean, I worked on it, but I understand. <laughs> no, no problem at all. All right, so we're almost at the two-hour mark. So what I I have noticed here is uh, we've touched a little bit on Fosters, but I don't want to keep you. I didn't want to keep you for two hours because I'm pretty sure you got some important shit you got to be doing about an hour ago. Um, so if you would like to, we can come back on and we can do uh, we can do another part to this one. And um, we can just talk fosters and we can wrap that up. And then what I can do is I can either put that on the end or just release it in two episodes. So if, if you'd like to, I can have you come back we on. Can we can keep talking. I'm good. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. All right. So 
getting to Foster's, and like I said, I know you don't have too much time on the show, um, but what do you remember from the early stages of Foster? Well, what I remember, you know, I talked a little bit early on about, you know, the very early pitches of Foster's and, and Craig sort of, you know, figuring it out as he like kept pitching it. Um, it, he didn't, you know, like it was pretty easy for him to get there with the show and the show came together, but I remember people kept asking for the logic of it. Like, yeah. you know, there was a lot of, you know, so do these imaginary creatures eat, you know, do they go to the bathroom? How do they, how does it work? How do you imagine one? And where, like, where does it come from? And so there was a lot of explaining Craig constantly had to explain. Mm -hmm. And, and, and there was no other show that sort of played with logic in the same way. And because of that, there was a lot of like people just asking questions over and over and over. So uh, I remember a lot of that. And, and, you know, I talked earlier about how, you know, like the, the head of Cartoon Network at the time was just not quite sure if it was the right direction for us because it didn't look like anything else. And um, the, you know, but the thing that, that really amazed me was how it looked. Mm -hmm. It was very beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It had such a, an amazing look and, you know, there was so much time being spent on, you know, the character design and it, there was so much imagination going on and, 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 you know, the, the backgrounds, mm -hmm. I think Craig Kelman was involved with it and, um, you know, just a lot of, a lot of hard work went into it and it really was, you know, pretty amazing i mean craig was coming off of powerpuff girls so he had he had this team the other thing i remember was he said something that shocked me which was he said i think i'd like to do the show in flash and flash was was like i couldn't i don't think there were any shows being done in flash at that point and i was like really you don't have to but you want to is this the and early days said, of flash yeah and he said he said, my gripe about the studios in Korea is how much trouble they have keeping things on model. Mm -hmm. I really want these shows to be on model. I want these characters, you know, these characters are kind of unusual looking. It's more likely that they'll be able to stay on model if we use Flash. And so, you know, Brian Miller, who was running the studio at the time, he went out and found, I guess it was, was it Boulder Media that worked with them? Or I can't remember now, but he found a studio to help and uh, and they basically did it in flash. And that was really unusual at the time. I mean, now, you know, you can look back and see lots of shows done, you know, now there's so many different computer programs people use, but it's not a big deal. But so that was one of the early shows that was done in flash and it was Craig's decision to do that, you know, and, and, uh, uh, it ended up still looking really good, I thought. Yeah. And so that was that was good. And um, I think it was because there were so many questions, it was a little harder for the writers to write. But the, you know, the the uh, like I, I also I remember Craig like really figuring out like, you know, 
what angles would work best with these characters and, and just all the all the things he had to figure out that were so different from Powerpuff. So I remember just a lot of a lot of shifting. You know, it wasn't just like another Powerpuff. It was really very much its own thing. Oh yeah. But um, but you know, I remember feeling pretty excited about it and thinking that it was coming together really well. And uh, you know, feeling a little bit bad when I left that, you know, I was sort of leaving it because it was a fun show to work on. Um, but and I, I still have uh I still have you know the toys all over the place. You know, I've yeah. got this one right here and I've got, oh, here's, here's Wilt. So I have uh, the rest of them in another room. So, you know, they're all, they're all, you know, all over the place in my house. Cause I, I you know, I like that show, but um, I think it, it was, you know, it was hard for Craig after having a relatively not easy time with Powerpuff, but you know, it went pretty smoothly. And I, I think you know, he had to answer lot of questions for Foster's Home, which, you know, when you see it now, it seems like a pretty straightforward show, right? So, you know, it's hard to believe, you know, how many logic questions he had to, to answer. But that's, I think that's a typical thing when you really create like a new kind of world. You have a lot of explaining to do to all the people who are going to be working with the show who don't really understand it. So that is something that I remember from the very early days of Foster's Home. And uh, I think, um, you know, I think they, I think they did a good job with it. I always enjoyed watching it. I, I watched it, you know, just as a fan after, you know, after I left. So I think, you know, I think it went well, but, um, but yeah, it, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. You know, there was a lot of explaining how imaginary friends come to be and what happens when they go away and, you know, all that it's 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 a very sad the concept in itself is very very sad um should hit the mic. did you uh what was it inside out did you see that one yeah sure so i draw those two the two correlations mm -hmm. just with was it bing bong and and, and oh right yeah. yeah yeah there were a lot of similarities you're right it tears my heart out every time i see it and then you think about what he was doing like you, you hear the concept is where imaginary friends go when the, mm -hmm. their kids no longer need them so when right. you hear that you're like yeah. oh man this is going to be a, this is going to be heavy this is a, a story about kids growing up and when craig was on and he was talking about it i can't remember the exact terms he used for it um, but he said he said the same thing you had just said every time he does something it's never the same it's a lot like you it's never the same you don't want to do the same thing you want to do something new because it's challenging right. 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 It, it, yeah. It's something different to come on to something and it's got a formula. Nothing mm -hmm. wrong with Disney and Pixar. So any, any fans mm -hmm. out there don't take the wrong way. But Disney and Pixar, they have a formula. They know what mm -hmm. works as long as they can get right. the heart, they know where to go from there. And that's what Disney movies and Pixar movies are about. They're about finding the heart and soul in a character and making you feel for them. Without right. that, there's no direction in the movie. There's no direction in the TV show. You have to feel for these right. characters. Mm -hmm. And then with yeah with this one he was like i want to do something new so he was like this was my artsy he was because i was like i and this is very early on when i'm I'm still still really early on in the animation just trying to remember and trying to understand and trying to get as much information on the, on the history of animation in my brain um, but i was like i really felt 
like this was something like a love letter to UPA because I love their style, their backgrounds, their color palettes, yeah. their color choices. In my opinion, as far as classic animation goes, that studio and J Ward studio, mm -hmm. they were on to something. I don't know. I don't have the correct terminology to put whatever it is I've, I've got up here when it comes to those two studios, but those two studios beautiful is what comes to mind like i said the backgrounds the, the lines just everything about them were just so stunning right. well they were artists they were the first some of the first animation artists who had uh like modern art backgrounds yes. and a lot of the people at j ward were people from upa mm -hmm. so uh it, it was uh you know a lot of the same i think but um the i mean you know guys that you know like their training was not necessarily just classical art. They were coming in with, you know, and you think about the era, you know, they were, they were coming in and they were interested in modern art and they had, a, had backgrounds in modern art and, or in different kinds of art and they were using it in animation and they were not trying to create the illusion of life. Mm -hmm. They were just trying to make, you know, they were, they were going with just like cartoony look and just trying to make it move just trying to make you believe these characters. They weren't trying to make you think they were real. Yeah. And, and so that's, you know, that, that gave them a lot of uh, leeway to play with the art, you mm -hmm. know, and to play with perspective. And if that's your taste, if you respond to that taste, it's true. UPA really was the pinnacle yes. of that look. And, uh, you know, and, and, to me, UPA was really just like, you know, there's before UPA and there's after. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's how I teach it when I teach animation history. And, you know, you want to talk about studios that no one knows about, nobody knows about UPA, but then you find out how much impact that they had, you know, just the fact that, that, you know, people at CalArts in the nineties were learning about UPA from Mike Giamo and taking what they learned and combining it with their love of Hanna-Barbera and Dexter came out of that and Powerpuff came out of that and Foster came out of that. And, uh, you know, to some degree, Johnny Bravo came out of that. Yep. And, uh, you know, they had a lot of, a lot of impact and, uh, you know, people don't know where that design comes from, but that's where that design comes from. Yeah, it comes with wanting to, you know, play, you know, take the graphic style that was popular in Europe post-war and make it move. So that that studio, and I'm so glad whenever I can have somebody on here that can tell me stories about UPA, like I said, I can go and watch any YouTube mm -hmm. thing I can do on U UPA. You can go and Google search some things, on, but there's not a lot about them that are, that are out there as far as the UPA goes. Like we were talking about the, uh, I think we hit, we were talking about it before we hit record, but the something you want to work on is New York illustration, right? So yeah. I literally knew there was nothing. I had a guy on here named Bob Singer. Um, do you know who Bob Singer is? You know, I've heard the name, but I'm okay, not. So uh, he worked on the original Scooby-Doo. He worked oh. on the Flintstones. He worked on, he worked on a little bit of Hanna-Barbera. Um, I, yeah. I want to say he worked on Johnny Bravo. I could be wrong, but he he pretty much got out and he was teaching, I think, character animate or character design 
and a little bit of uh, a little bit of other things um, over at CalArts, I believe. Oh, okay. Bob, I apologize. Uh, man's 94 years old, right? So he's been around for some time. And he had some amazing stories. Got to work with Bill and got to work with Joe. Um, yeah. But uh, he he was telling me uh, a little bit of stuff about UPA, um, and then just going off of what he said, I, I don't I don't I didn't know why that style spoke to me but i think it's because of all of the animation like gendy was a huge fan of upa craig was a huge fan of yeah. mm-hmm. and when i had rob renzetti which was one of my favorite people to have on here such a cool dude uh yeah. one of my favorite shorts to come out of the what a cartoon and the cartoon cartoon was mina and the count oh I yeah absolutely mm-hmm. love that and you, the first thing i notice is just the color choices he used for his palette and then you look at it's it's when it's when um drac comes out of out of the out of the castle and he's going into the sorority home or whatever and you look at the backdrop on the cityscape and the cityscape is a upa style and i asked him i'm like i don't want to talk out of turn and it makes you sound like i'm smarter than i am rob but did it was upa huge and he was like absolutely was he was like that's where this came from and this is where this 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 uh inspiration came from just put it in here he's like i love the studio gendy loved the studio craig loved the studio we all love this and we all learned it in cal arts when we were going to school randy was another one randy myers they brought it up he was like all of this style was taught to us and he was like, when you've got that kind of inspiration, of course, it's going to reflect in your art. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, shit, that makes all the sense. That's why I like this, because you guys gave it to me before I before I saw it originally or when it was first out there. So yeah. it's, I love the style. Um, and then I don't know. Are you, I'm pretty sure you've seen it, but 101 Dalmatians. Sure. Yeah, that's so, one of my favorite of the Disney movies. Yeah, I've, I've got to say this one, like I've I've watched it more times because the baby absolutely loves all the dogs we have. Oh, um, yeah. So any t- anytime a dog is on his eyes light up. So the first thing I started putting on was 101 Dalmatians and I'd watched the movie, but I hadn't watched watched the movie. In I don't know how long uh-huh. I remember looking at it and just watching it, how different it was. And I'm like, holy. Oh, God. yeah. Yeah. This is beautiful. And then I have Floyd Norman on, right? Floyd Norman, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. one of, you know, one of the hugest Disney animators of all time. And I got to talk to him for two hours. Sadly, stuff happened to the audio and video. So I was only allowed to, or I was only able to put out 30 minutes worth of it because the audio and video was so messed up. Oh, gosh. We talked two hours almost and just old wow. animation, his favorite Walt stories, just everything. And then 101 Dalmatians comes up and he was, and he was telling me, you know, just art style and how this and how xerox really helped them them make that movie he's like without that that movie's not getting made because you're having all of these dogs right but that movie is so beautiful and looking at it like i said jungle book's always been my favorite disney movie however this one is a very 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 close second it's such a beautiful movie when it comes down to it beautiful movie um and all of it i think is upa inspired so oh yeah yeah and uh it was it was definitely that era, you know, like like it had a more modern look than yeah. all of the animation that came before it, and a lot of the animation that came after it too, you know. It, it and and it was it was my favorite. It was the the Disney movie I saw in the theater when I was a little kid. Yeah, and yeah, because it was. Um, I think actually, I think I saw it in its second run. I don't think I saw it in its first run, but I think I saw it second run and i remember being at somebody's like like eighth birthday party and it was yeah. it was for 101 dalmatians and and um i remember saying to the kid next to me as we were watching it one of the scary moments i said don't worry i've seen these kind of movies and they have happy endings and <laughs> 
So he's a little, uh, you know, seven-year-old film critic. You're giving him hope. <laughs> yes. But, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I think that, that uh, you know, UPA was a very pivotal studio for a lot of people. And, uh, it, you know, for me, it was, uh, you know, when I would see that style, you know, I knew that style was more recent than a lot of the other things that I would see. So, like, to me, UPA things and things that looked like UPA, because there were a lot of cartoons that came out after that that kind of imitated UPA. And so I had the sense of, you know, okay, this is my era. You know, these things are, are cool. The other stuff, you know, like, like, you know, to me, something like, like Snow White seemed like it was hundreds of years old. It seemed ancient, but, you know, and I, I didn't really know, but I just knew that if it looked like, you know, Mr. Magoo, it was much more modern. So so. what I've gotten from this. So first is the book on New York illustrators. And the second one is UPA. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. That's well, you know, I don't need to write. I, I wrote one essay for a book on uh, uh, it, it, it looked at uh, how John Kay was influenced by um, Clampett and it looked at how Gendy was influenced by uh, Bob Cannon, UPA. So I spent a lot of time researching UPA at that point, but I don't think I have anything to add to the UPA story or, you know, to the Cartoon Network story, but I feel like, you know, people really could use a book about the history of New York animation. So if someone else doesn't do it, I may have to. I think you should, because I think your version is going to be better. And uh, before we get off topic for that essay, do you have, is that essay still around? Is it floating out on the internet? Can we read it? Oh, you know what? I'll, I'll send you a copy of it. I have a, a Xerox of it. So. Beautiful. I'd love to read it. Uh, I actually just had on uh, Ruth Clampett. I had on Bob's oh, cool. daughter. Great. Yeah, she was such a, she was yeah. such a phenomenal person. It was really cool listening to some of the stories. Um, but uh, as we hit the little over the two hour mark, uh, are you ready for some fans questions? Sure beautiful yes all right so usually i write them down but uh i was having trouble uh getting the old getting the old hand to work tonight so i took some pictures of them since i figure we're talking high tech and we're talking streaming and all that other stuff might as well get in with the the new age of kids so we got some really good ones here great um so i told you the craig one i thought that one was a real fun one to um to start off with at the beginning of the show yeah i wish i remembered that more uh, you'll remember as soon as you get off this call. That's usually how it works. Probably, works. yeah, yeah. And uh, one of the ones—it's not a question, but uh, one of the one of the guys that you uh, you helped a lot along the way, uh, Joel Dickey, right, from AKA Cartoon Network, uh, Ed, Ed and Eddie, right, Vancouver yeah. Studios. Yeah. Uh, he put Linda exclamation mark. She was a key element in bringing us the Eds. So he didn't have a question. He just wanted to say. And every time your name came up, whether it was Mike, Jono, Sabrina. Rachel, uh, Joel, Big Jim, it didn't matter, Corey, it did not matter who I talked to. They all dropped Linda's name and said how much of a huge factor she was in keeping Cartoon Network away from AKA and keeping Danny away from all of the crazy shit and just letting Danny do what Danny did. And Danny created a masterpiece. So all of them had such amazing things to say about you. Well, that's nice. That's good. That yeah. was uh, that you know I that was all a very positive situation. I don't remember 
anything bad happening there. I feel like, yes, we, you know, it was pretty easy to keep things going smoothly there. You know, Danny had, he was not always terribly interested in timing, you know, but, <laughs> but, you know, I kind of agreed with that. My attitude was they don't give Emmys for best on time delivery. No. So best so, product. Yes. 20 years later, the only thing that would matter was, was it good? And so if he needed extra time to make it good, he should make it good. I still feel that way. And that is why no one ever puts me in charge of production. <laughs> and I'm yeah, okay with that. That's why they haven't had any hit shows since 2009, saying the test of time, like Ed and Eddie is, as they may, they need another Linda. Um, so, oh, man, I always butcher their name and I apologize, guys. Uh, Cosmic Comics Productions wants to know. As someone pivotal in setting up so many creators and getting so many successful shows running, what advice would she give to a creator today trying to pitch themselves and their ideas to differentiate themselves and stand out slash make their way? There are seemingly so many more people in the industry than there were before. What are your thoughts? Thank you in advance. I'm trying not to lose my soul along the way. So what advice can you give us? Uh, that is a good question because there's not an easy answer. Mm -hmm. You know, because the, the obvious answer is, well, you know, you should you should make your work stand out by not not copying anyone else's work, but making, you know, doing, you know, something that is very much your vision and, you know, not making it someone else's vision. But but, you know, how do you stand out? I think I think what you have to do these days to really like get to make your show is you have to go and work on someone else's show and you have to distinguish yourself on someone else's show so that the network executives recognize you. And then you have to make a show that is completely different from what you've been working on. Oh, look, my cat's here. Hello. Um, so you, so you have to, you can't just like, you know, show up and make a show. You have to gain the executive's trust. You have to. Sorry. Oh, you're fine. I think he made an appearance last one too, so it's yeah, a good, that, good callback. Yeah. <laughs> he, he knows when when it's getting exciting around here, and he wants in on it. But um, yeah, you can't you can't just like pitch and be like, trust me, I know I know what I'm doing. You have yeah. to go and you have to sort of pay your dues on a show and and really distinguish yourself on a show, and then you know be discovered and and then you you know talk them into giving you enough freedom and making something that really is unique mm -hmm. and that's pretty hard these days but you know it's 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 you just have to you know get to the right place where you can do it I, and i i think the 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 thing that i'm i'm suggesting is you know putting that extra step in there of going and working on someone else's show and becoming a known quantity while you're while you're there and sort of earning the right to to do the thing that you want to do um i think it's hard to just you know sort of you know just go out and pitch mm -hmm. if nobody knows you i think you have to you know people you're asking people to kind of stake their career on you they have to know you at least somewhat so uh and it's harder to get to that point now because the industry is so much bigger mm -hmm. But you do have to think about that. But that would be my suggestion is really, you know, just sort of like, you know, build your reputation so that people feel that they can trust you. 
because that's the big thing now I think is making sure that people trust you and then they'll give you that freedom that you want to make the show that you want to make. So I can't agree more. And if I could add just a little bit to that, it's the same thing as this podcast. I can't, I couldn't go out of the gate and get Craig McCracken. Didn't happen. It took <clears throat> having Rob Renzetti on. It took having Linda on it. It took having Robert Alvarez on Randy Myers on. It took having a whole bunch of people when it came down to it, everybody wants the Rob Paulsons of the world. Everybody wants the Craig McCrackens, the Gendys, the Dannys, uh, the John Dilworths, the Van Partibles, the insert whatever character or whatever, whatever creator you want. Very few people want to hear the storyboards. Very few people want to hear the executives, want to hear the writers and all this other stuff. So with me going through an entire studio's cast or excuse me, crew, that goes and shows whoever it is that I eventually want on that. Oh, mm-hmm. he's serious about this. Or he, right. he did the mm-hmm. diligence. He went out there and talked. It wasn't just me trying yeah. to get, because the way mm-hmm. I look at it is a lot of people want clickbait and that's exactly what this podcast will never be. Like I take clips from this and then I use those as teaser trailers to get people excited for the show. But a lot of people will tune out when we start talking, when it comes to certain topics, but there is a there's a select core of people that, that go here. Hundreds of people will go here and, and they'll watch this and they'll hear this and they'll take stuff. There's so many people that write in that are autistic. They're on the spectrum. They have Down syndrome. Uh, a lot of them. Uh, I'm not saying a lot of the animators are on the spectrum, but a lot of animators and writers are white that are in the industry now that are trying to figure out what they can do to separate themselves. So I have a, mm-hmm. a lot of mentally challenged people that listen to this. And I, I was blown away when I would have people write in and they say, I'm on the autism spectrum. I don't understand anything other than cartoons. He was like, there, there's something in my brain that, that I can't understand when somebody is upset with me, but I can understand when a character is upset on the screen. And mm-hmm. looking at that message, not understanding that not, not, not that everybody thinks like me or everybody thinks the way people think, but that people go through and people have these hurdles and these challenges on regular shit that I'm okay with, right? I can kind of get, like when I see somebody and they're upset, I can tell they're upset, but there's a certain set of people out there that, that see this and they, they, they learn through cartoons, right? I didn't mm-hmm. know that before I started this. And before I started talking to these people, I just figured I can go and ask, Hey, you want to be on my show? And they would say, yes. Right. I assumed that it was the same thing, but it was the same way of me learning that people go through different things is the same way of learning. Like, Hey, you have to kind of prove yourself. Right. All of this. Yeah. You have to have, mm-hmm people that that because a lot of these people especially in this industry now are very very guarded because it is so easy to get canceled it is so Mm -hmm. easy to say the wrong thing it'd be taken out of context and then you can no longer find work that's why there's so many stories on this show that i've heard that most of the people won't get to hear because i had to cut those stories out however you know Mm -hmm. it's just keep grinding keep get your foot in the door and then as soon as the foot's in the door kick it and be undeniable. I can't remember who said that one of the animators on here, one of the creators on here is like, just get your foot in the door, whether it's a yeah. job, like you were just yeah. saying, clean up artists, an in-between guy, um, right. backgrounds, get something on there where you can say, Hey, I've worked on a show and I have credit. I mm-hmm. have talked to this person. I can talk to this person now. Same concept, get your foot in the yeah. door yeah. and then become undeniable. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. 
All right. So the next one here, that was a good question. I apologize. Every time, every time he, they write in, I always, cause I, I look at their name and I'm like, Oh, it's comics. I'm like, Oh no, it's cosmic. So I get them mixed up. So I always have to apologize for that one. Mark Grunt, uh, 22 wants to know. Um, of course shows like Samurai Jack courage and Batman beyond, uh, are better, but they are all well praised while Ed's don't get anywhere near the praise and love that shows like Johnny Bravo animaniacs and Dexter get despite being a better show than those for me it goes like um i think he was just talking about the the shows he likes so um he brings in some shows so i think he just says that uh ed and eddie doesn't get enough love which i agree it never gets enough uh gets enough love um what were some of your favorite shows on the network to watch that's coming from louise belcher off of reddit favorite shows on on cartoon network yeah we'll stick with cartoon network since we're doing a cartoon network show so i uh you know i liked a lot of them because i i worked on them um i think you know i i really enjoyed uh i i enjoyed watching the ones i enjoyed working on the most Mm -hmm. i think that's probably not surprising uh so i you know i Dexter and Powerpuff were were ones that I really enjoyed. Um, I enjoyed working on Samurai Jack because I was learning a lot on that. That was the first action cartoon I'd worked on. So I I felt like I was taking a master class in storyboarding when I worked on that show. So that was fun. Um, You know, I liked each show for something. So I I don't think I, I really had like, you know, solid favorites you know i feel like i feel like you know like with johnny bravo i i sorry my dog keeps barking i'm gonna shut the door sorry about that oh no problem at all she's very noisy tonight i don't know what's going on um so uh i i felt like with with each show i i was i was learning something so like with johnny bravo i learned a lot about uh, voice records because I attended a lot of those voice records. They had a lot of celebrities in them. And, and so I learned a lot about uh, that process with that show. So that was kind of fun. I learned, um, you know, like I said, uh, Samurai Jack was like a master class in boarding. Dexter and Powerpuff were like master classes in, in boarding as well. You know, I was still learning about, uh, you know, really so- solid gag cartoons at that point. Um, Ed and Nettie was, you know, a fun show to work on. Like, oh, yeah. I really enjoyed that. I, I, I really enjoyed that, like visiting that show. I spent a lot of time in Vancouver at that studio just because it was really just, it was a lot of fun. And I learned a lot mm-hmm. about what they were thinking about, you know, just being there when people were pitching boards and things like that. So, so that was fun. And, you know, just how Danny interacted with his, his team and everything. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, I, I remember, you know, around three o'clock, everyone would, you know, open up a beer. And, you know, and I remember thinking that was funny at the time. Uh, very Canadian in my mind. Um, you ever get a post a note from Danny? Oh, many. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I've, so I've, I've asked so many of the board artists and the writers, 
because mm-hmm. there's always one because for the fans that don't know that might have not listened to any of the edit any ones which i'm pretty sure you have because it's a good portion of my episodes where especially the early episodes were edit and edit episodes um but danny would write all of his remarks on post-it notes and he would stick them to the boards some of my favorite ones it was like you look like you drew this with your ass um there were other ones that said no heart no soul and he would circle it or he would give it letter grades <laughs> and mm-hmm. i can't remember who said it I, it might have been joel but i'm pretty sure it was uh, scott but i think he had wrote an f on it and circled it a whole bunch and then gave it back to him and they didn't know they didn't know what to fix so they just redrew the entire thing um but i got to imagine as far as from your standpoint your your danny's boss you know, I mean, he might not look at it that way. He might have his own opinion. Uh, you know, he's a he's a great guy from what I hear. But um, what well, was... he was very exacting. He yeah. knew what he wanted and he, you know, he pulled it out of people. Yeah. You know, it, that was like a master class in boarding, too. I mean, he was really big on on gags, you know, like in in ways that a lot of people could never come close to the way he thought, you know, he, he had a very expansive vision of what, you know, what these gags are going to be like. And there were so many characters in them, right. That, you know, you had to like move them all around and, you know, sometimes there could be like, you know, 10 characters running around in some situation. And, and uh, you know, he was pretty, pretty definitive about what he wanted i mean he was not sending those notes to me but i was seeing those notes occasionally and i was always like wow (laughs) wow you know that that's you know and that's part of what you'd get if you were in in the studio in vancouver is you'd you'd get to watch him critiquing things and he could be tough but he was demanding and i think everyone i worked with they were tough in their own ways so but yeah i wouldn't say i had like a particular you know favorite of all of the shows some shows were easier to work on than others um you know some shows came together more easily than others but um you know and i i liked those because you know they were more fun they were less stressful but uh yeah i I liked a lot of the shows that i worked on some of the the later shows i didn't get to work on as much like Mm -hmm. they would have a a different network executive on them and you know i might not get to read all the boards or I might not get to, you know, do very much on them. I would, you know, I, like the, the more I became a, uh, an executive, the, the less I got to, you know, just sit and read boards and scripts and outlines. And that's what I really like doing. So, yeah. you know, it's like, I'm, I am one of those people that, you know, like when I get too high up, I have to leave and start again. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a uh, favorite po- post-it note you might have seen though from Danny? Do you have one that that might? Uh, I don't. I don't have any specific ones that I I remember. I just remember the tone of them, and it was yeah. a, a little bit like you know, like you know, did you draw this with your foot? Kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard some great ones. Uh, like I said, those are some of my favorite people to ever talk to, um, and not one of them that I had on had anything bad to say about Danny. They all said how demanding he was, yet how you didn't want to let him down because of how much he cared and how much he protected his crew. So if you right. did what you were supposed to do, Danny had your back. And I have to sit there. Yeah. I have to say, yeah. There's so many people that will let shit falls downhill and they will usually mm-hmm. let it pile up and people will not step up for anybody. So to hear that that still happened and he would he would come out of his pocket a lot whenever they were coming up late 
you know, that, that meant something to me just being a fan. Cause like I said, you can see the heart and soul in that show. And you see that because it starts with Danny and Danny only wanted to have what he wanted to have. It was excellence or nothing else. If it was anything mm-hmm. short of excellence, go find a job somewhere else. And I, and I like that mentality. I think that iron right. sharpens iron type mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, real Nico laser wants to know, or he just wanted to say, thanks for making an awesome childhood. Um, crazy about spongebob uh he wanted to here she am excuse me so i apologize uh please name one of your favorite episodes from some of the classic cartoon network shows you had a hand in dexter's lab powerpuff girls johnny bravo edit and eddie fosters etc do you have a favorite episode from you know maybe a couple of those shows or one that stands out yeah i don't you know i don't really can't really say that I have particular favorite episodes of things because you know I was sort of in the weeds on all of them so I uh you know but there were there were certain ones that I I still like to go back to like I like to watch the um there was a Dexter Speed Racer parody oh I'm so glad you brought that up and I always thought that was like 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 high hilarity and um uh the there were a couple of Powerpuff episodes that I really liked, and uh, of course I'm a Beatles fan, so uh, yeah. uh, Meet the Beatles that one was a, a personal favorite. And uh, let's see what else. Um, there were actually some some Johnny Bravo. Like I I find myself referring to even though I complained about them at the time, the Johnny Bravo parodies of the twilight zone, I have, I have referenced them way more than I should. And let's see. I, uh, sometimes it's more like their lines that I remember from certain ones or, you know, just things, but I, I can't say that I, you know, I like have favorite episodes that I can still like, sometimes I'll, I'll just go back and I'll, you know, like I'll watch, like a few of something, but um, it's more like, you know, I'll go back and I'll, I'll watch like a pilot or something and I'll think, wow, I can't believe they let us make this or, <laughs> or something. Like I, I, a few years ago, I watched the pilot from Cow and Chicken Ooh. and, and I was like, wow, what were they thinking? This has so many things in it that, that you couldn't do in a show now. Oh Yeah. <laughs> And we had to take them all out back then too. And, you know, and, and, and uh, so, so, uh, so yeah, so there, there were, there are different like shows that had moments that I thought were really funny. And uh, like, for some reason, I always remember a lot of moment, random moments from um, I am weasel cartoons. I think the early ones I worked on a lot more hands-on and then the later shows that I worked on, it was like, I was a little less involved with the day-to-day on them, but, um, but yeah, so some of those cartoons and uh, uh, yeah, there's some, there's some Dexter ones that I, I remember really liking, um, but definitely Mach 5 was, was, uh, was, was one that I really liked. Um yeah, I'm not giving a very good answer on this, but mostly because it's been so long, you know. It yeah, it's was, hard to remember back that far, you know. Yeah, 
yeah like to remember the names of the episodes it's like i have i have all the dvds sitting here but um, <laughs> i had a, a really funny thing happen to me a few years ago i was still at pbs at the time and uh uh you know they they send out uh dvds or they used to send out dvds during like emmy's voting season so that you would see stuff and uh i got a package and it was supposed to be like a showtime movie in it and i open it up and someone had put a dexter ego trip tape in the box and i was like okay <laughs> someone knows me that's good but there was no note with it or anything there was nothing in it that said anything it was just there and i was like okay this is pretty funny i just i wish i knew who did it so if that person's out there please let me know it was funny yeah um it's, it's funny you bring up uh the speed racer one because i talked about that with craig and mm -hmm. i i can't remember how we get to it or how we got to it um but he was talking about um I think it was just the cadence of Mojo Jojo, but mm -hmm. him and Rob would go back to their house mm -hmm. and then they would watch Speed Racer. I think he said it was on MTV back in the day. And he was like, before, uh, before it came to the state or after it came to the States, it was a comedy because of how they cut it and how they dubbed it. It was like, it turned right. into a comedy. And he was, right. I took that cadence and that's how Mojo Jojo talked. Mojo Jojo talked how Speed Racer was. And then mm -hmm. I forgot until you mentioned, I forgot the, the, um, the speed racer Dexter's lab mashup. And I was like, it makes perfect sense. I was like, these guys are taking what they're watching at the time and mm -hmm. then being inspired and writing a love letter to that time between UPA, the, this, mm -hmm. uh, the shows that Craig watched that would, that inspired, uh, Mojo Jojo's hat and his headpiece and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. And then having David on it, I took, I had to talk to David Feast. A couple times now, um, mm -hmm. creator of Cow and Chicken and Dean mm -hmm. Taylor. He did. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. he was. He's such a great dude. He's going to come on again soon here. Oh, cool. But uh, just hearing all of the stuff that kind of went into how and Cow and Chicken got started and mm -hmm. then how it got developed. They couldn't call the guy. They couldn't call him the devil, but they called devil, him the red right. And I was right. like, that's what they yeah. were hung up on. They were hung up on the word, the devil. This dude was bouncing around on ass cheeks. That's how he walked. And that's right. what they were worried mm -hmm. about. And I was like, and the pilot, I believe the pilot was no smoking. So it was right. yeah. cigarettes mm -hmm. on cards. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, there was, there were, were so many things in that pilot that could not be in the show. In fact, Turner like started a department of broadcast standards to review that show specifically. They didn't have a broadcast standards department before that. <laughs> Way to go, David. The whole department just to review that show. And uh, and and the big, I have a whole file of all the like emails that went back and forth about that show. And some of them are so funny because somewhere along the way, they made the determination. You just can't show him with his pants off. So, Every he has a different name in every episode, and it's always along the lines of, you know, Mister, uh, you know, Pansofsky, mm -hmm. things like that. And they just put that joke in every episode. So yeah, there were a lot of inside jokes in that episode. Yeah, so. I, I, I like I like when they do callbacks, man. Uh, I can't find a username thirty three wants to know. Uh, what was the most intimidating project you were presented? 
Oh, I think it was when I worked on Justice League. Yeah. Yeah, because I uh, we had decided we wanted to work with Warner Brothers and Bruce Tim, mm-hmm. and we were pretty excited about that. And then, uh, you know, he said, I have an idea for Justice League. And he said, OK. And so then I started getting boards. Well, I started getting scripts and the scripts were long and I wasn't used to reading scripts. I mean, we did most of our our shows were um, premise to outline to board. And suddenly I'm getting these, you know, really like, you know, pretty lengthy half hour scripts and and uh, and then, you know, the boards were like super thick and they were beautiful and they were elaborate. And I other than Samurai Jack, you know, I was sort of new to action and, you know, I'd been working on the show for, you know, probably about six or seven episodes. And I I went to Jay Bastion and I said, hey, <laughs> I need you to take over on this because I'm just I'm not enough of an action expert to be the right person to it's like i can i can find the standards issues and i can find the character questions but looking at these boards i'm not sure i'm finding the action questions so i'm going to give you this show and he said great and he was very happy after that and uh and then he went and worked at warner brothers after that so it all worked out but i was pretty intimidated by that because i was a comedy person and I was not an action person and, you know, no matter how much I, I liked the characters and appreciated Bruce Tim's work and, you know, everybody's work on that show, I was not adding anything to that show and they didn't need me to, but I just felt like we needed more of a fan to take over. So that's when I, I handed it over to Jay and he was very happy and he did a great job. So that worked out perfectly, but I found that a little intimidating. And uh, yeah, everything else, I think I just, um, when I first got to Cartoon Network, I, I uh, you know, I, I, wanted, I wanted to get along with everyone. I didn't know what that was going to be like. You know, I was coming from Nickelodeon and everything. So I, uh, I worked really hard at, at, you know, not being a jerk. And so that worked out. <laughs> it was a good move, good career move. Don't be a jerk. But uh, that wasn't intimidating. You know, I just wanted to get it right. But yeah, Justice League was pretty intimidating. I was scared that I wouldn't know what I was doing and uh, worked out in the end. I got to imagine. So, I mean, like I said, anybody that has ever worked with you has never had a bad thing to say about you. So (laughs) you got to be doing something right. Um, and then this is one that I want to start implementing into every show because of so many shows I've had people that have talked about their inspirations, the people that they mm-hmm. drew inspiration from, or they see something mm-hmm. they did and they're like, I'm a fan for you for the rest of my life. So this is something that we're going to start with this episode. So from here on end, this question will be in there. Um, but if you had a Mount Rushmore of animators, so you get four people plus mm-hmm. a honorable mention. So you've got five people. Who mm-hmm. would be on your Mount Rushmore of animators? Okay. Uh, Cordell Barker mm-hmm. is a Canadian film board animator. He was, uh, he did The Cat Came Back. And that was one of those cartoons where, like, I wasn't, I wasn't working in animation yet when I saw that. And when I saw that, I, I remember thinking, I'd like to work with that guy. And, 
and uh, I would like to, I mean, we, we ended up not ever really working together, but that was always, he was always my sort of like someday I will you know, yeah. to, uh, you know, work with me. Uh, I'd put Craig and Gendy on it. Okay. Good choices. And uh, Joe Murray. Mm. Rocco. And, uh, and Craig Bartlett. Mm. Those are, Joe and, and Craig are my sort of like, they're my forever creators. Wherever I go, I try to, you know, like bring them and, you know, work with them again. Cause I, I've worked with both of them in each of my jobs and they're both really great. And um, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to have, I'm going to add one more person to that. Uh, I'm going to put Janet Perlman, another Canadian film board animator on my uh mount rushmore because she whatever she does makes me laugh and uh and she is uh you know she definitely she's she's not like she's not one of those people doing things to confuse you or she she goes right for what's funny and she always makes me laugh and she's also a great artist so i always really like her stuff so i'd put her on my mount rushmore with all of those guys and uh, I'm sure after we get off the phone, I'll think of 10 more people, but you, you did limit me. So well, that's, so. What I, that's what I like. And, and that, that list for the people that are listening, that list is not to in slight anybody that didn't make the cut. So I want. People right. To- right. There, if I had a bigger Mount Rushmore, I'd put other people on it. But, 100%. Yeah. These are the, the people that I think, um, you know, they, they were helping me form my taste as I was sort of, you know, figuring out what, what I liked. And these were all people, these are people that to this day, I will go and, and, you know, watch things that they've done just to laugh. So. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, it, it's, it's, I know you didn't ask my Mount Rushmore, but I'm gonna tell you my Mount Rushmore. Oh I'll yeah. Be, tell me your Mount Rushmore. I want to be a little narcissistic here for a second, Linda. Uh, you know, Gendy has always been my guy. Um, <clears throat> Gendy, number one, he, he is what, what Bill or what Barbara and Han- Hannah Barbera was to everybody that in Gendy's mm-hmm. generation, Gendy is to me. Uh, and mm-hmm. then Craig's up there as well. Craig Bartlett. Mm-hmm. And here's a little secret. He's coming on in the fall. I can't wait. Craig's coming oh. on in the fall. So uh, yeah, he's real, real busy right now. So uh, we've been in contact and he's going to come on down the road and I've got some really cool stuff planned for that one because that show was super huge to me growing up. Um, I don't, I don't rescue a pigeon unless I see a pigeon man episode from Hey Arnold. That's one of my ah, favorite yeah. episodes of all time. Um, so I can't wait to, I don't know if I've told, I, I have told that story of Paul Germain. I had the Rugrats co-creator on there. I had him on and I told him that story. Um, so Craig Bartlett is up there. Jay Ward has, I, I there's not one Rocky and Bullwinkle thing I don't like. I mean, it just I, I love. I Have love you talked to Daryl Van Sitters? I, I had him coming on last year, but uh, I had to reschedule. And then his his um his schedule was crazy, and my schedule was crazy. I still have to reach back out and get him on, but uh, I do want him on though, because he is the uh, he's a good Jay Ward expert. His book is amazing. <laughs> yes. Yes. So. Um, uh, uh, the last one I, I read, it was the moose that roared. Have you read that one? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, so good. So yeah. good. 
hearing all of that stuff that they had to go through from the animation in Mexico to it being brought back to LA to Jay Ward being damn near killed by a truck and it changing his life forever. It's just like all of these things you, you hear, it's kind of like mm-hmm. this podcast. If I just sit here and they, so Linda, how'd you get started? Okay. So why'd you do that? All right, Rocco, why'd you go there? Cartoon Network it's, it's the same concept. So when, mm-hmm. unless you get like a book like that one, where it was like all mm-hmm. of the, the, the shit that you don't hear about, or you get a podcast like this, where we just talk, uh, right. hear some of the stories that you get to hear. Um, so that was another great book. One of my favorite books on animation uh, was that book, the Moose, the Moose Award. And then the last person I had on there uh, for my Mount Rushmore is Jorge Gutierrez. I have never cried more at shows or movies than I have when I've watched The Book of Life, Maya and the Three. If you haven't watched that one yet, that is a beautiful, beautiful show um, on Netflix that Jorge did this, uh, this past year. Um, and then Craig McCracken uh, rounds out my my honorable mention. He should be up so there. These are these are um, this was my Mount Rushmore of TV people because if I if I had a Mount Rushmore for feature people, I'd put Miyazaki up there. You know, yeah. that's another big influence for me was uh, seeing Totoro sort of early on in my career, and 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 not even being able to like I always liked Japanese animation. I was a big Speed Racer fan. And a big Tezuka fan, but seeing Miyazaki's work, I could, I, I still can't completely put my finger on what is it that amazes me so much about him. But something does, and uh, I'm always, uh, I'm always sort of amazed when I look at his, his work. So I'd put if there's an extra, you know, like Mount Rushmore down the street. If you go to San, if if you go to uh, South Dakota. And you go to the real Mount Rushmore. There's the uh, the other statue of the uh, Native American one, the uh, crazy horse. I can't remember, but uh, if I had one of those, it would be Miyazaki on it. So <laughs> we just watched. Uh, my son had never seen it before, so we just watched Spirited Away. Uh, for oh yeah. One, mm-hmm. uh, last week, week before. I don't know. These weeks are just starting to blend into one another. But uh, we just watched that because he's been on a real anime kick. Um, mm-hmm. But Mark Davis is the other guy that I wanted to mention as well. Uh, oh yeah, it's, mm-hmm. his sure. work is just yeah. so beautiful. Um, just doesn't get enough. I'm pretty sure he does get enough attention. It's just me finding mm-hmm. out all these guys' names fucking right. 10, years down the road. Um, but yeah, he he he's up there as well. Um, that's that's been the that's been the chat, man. I've really had fun with this one. Um, are you you said you're still teaching, right? Yeah, I uh, I I will be teaching in the fall. I'm not teaching at the moment. What uh, uh, what classes are you going to teach that way? If there's some people out here that want to take a class from the great Linda Semensky, they can sign up for it. Well, this is uh, I, I teach at Penn, so they'd have to be Penn students. But um, get the GPA up later. Yeah, yeah, if any of them are Penn students, uh, I will be teaching this fall. I'm teaching the history of uh, Disney animation. Ooh. So. What eras? Uh, what's that? What eras are you doing? Oh, I do the whole thing. I, you know, really? start, I start with, you know, the beginning of, uh, of Walt and we go all the way up through, I go a little quickly through the more recent stuff because I'm always operating from the idea that they've seen, yeah. the, they've seen a lot of the more recent ones, but, you know, we look at, you know, the, the, the merger with Pixar, all that stuff. So we hit on, uh, the whole thing. Is it just a nine week course? 14. I was about to say, that's a lot of stuff. Even 14 weeks. That's a lot yeah. of, that's a mm-hmm. lot of moving. 
yeah, it gets a little harder to teach each time I teach it because they have more films to. Yeah, because they add new movies every other year. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) but it's a it's a fun course, and uh, I always enjoy teaching it. So, so yes, so I will be teaching that, and um, apparently I'll be writing a book about (laughs) New York animation. Oh man, I can't wait, and uh, I'm pretty sure. There's been a few people that have had on that are that are writing books or beginning to write books. However, if you go the self-publishing route, you can put it up on Kickstarter, crowdfunding, and all those other different websites. And I'm pretty sure the fans and there's a lot of people in the animated animation industry that would get behind it as well, and we can kick money towards it. So if that is you got some downtime in between that 14 week. 14 weeks seems still way too short to be talking about disney's animation you know it, it, that's that's insane i got to imagine by the time you're done with that class you're like i need a summer vacation for eight months oh yeah well it takes you know it takes from january to uh, august to recover and then i start teaching again <laughs> that's just wild It'll take a long time to catch up it's no, true i can imagine well you got to go back and see all those movies and write a new syllabus for all the new movies that came out the year prior yeah, well, it, it has forced me to watch a couple of Disney movies that I had skipped along the way. Like yeah. um, the one with the um, uh, Home on the Range, I had not seen. <laughs> I, had to, I had to go watch that. So not as bad as I'd expected. But yeah, I, I do have to uh, occasionally catch up with the things I'm behind on. So well, at least it forces you to check out something new. It forces you to to open up to something you might have. Meh, I'll catch it when it hits Redbox. But now on Disney Plus, you can watch it at your leisure, and it, you can watch it right. if you wanted to. Yeah. So that makes it a hell of a lot nicer too. Um, right. And then, like we talked about a couple times during here, you are working over at Duolingo. So if yeah. you want to know more about what you're doing over there, you want to give them a little elevator pitch and tell them why they should be going over and following Linda with Duolingo. Yeah, so Duolingo, it's, they are, you know, they have animated characters on the app, and the, uh, the little character moments are, uh, they come as you, you know, as you, as you do the various, you know, courses, and you work your way through them, they give you encouragement, and they do little celebration moments for you. And so we're working on some culture shorts with them, we have, uh, I'm working on the stories that that uh, you translate to, you know, to, to, uh, you know, it used to be that you would just translate stories and now we're working on character arcs for those characters. So it's becoming a little more complex of a a Duolingo world. Uh, There's a literacy app for kids, for younger kids. uh, And there are stories there and uh, we are working on figuring out we can animate those characters for uh, anything. And uh, I think the plan over time is just to add more animation to the app and to uh, just, you know, keep figuring out what we can do with these characters. So, um, so, you know, if you are, if you have any interest in languages, it's Duolingo is a great app for learning languages. I am working my way through Spanish right now. And uh, I am finding it easier this time around than the first time around in school. <laughs> so uh, it sort of uh, gamifies language learning, which is which is making it a lot more fun. So uh, I am, you know, figuring out how to use 
animation to help make uh, language learning more fun. So that's what I am up to. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. So yeah, I, I can imagine. And what's been a lot of fun for me is getting to go down this road with you again. I really appreciate it. I think we might have broken the record for longest episode. Uh, we almost, oh, wow. Yeah, okay. we almost went three hours. So this is wow. between you and uh, David Cohen, the head writer for mm -hmm. Curse a Cowardly Dog. He was a phenomenal person. He was actually our Halloween episode last year. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. He was he's a great dude. Um, no better way to end this than she's been Linda. I've been Julian. This has been What's in My Head podcast. And this has been another piece of your childhood. Good night. Thanks. Thanks again for checking out the What's in My Head podcast. If you're digging what you're hearing, leave us a five-star rating. That will help other fans of animation and pop culture find the show. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button, tell a friend, and I'll see you guys and gals next week. Good night.